The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. How in the world is he doing this? Tanahashi to the top! One more time! One more time! Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be discussing the new beginning in Nagoya, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prostantees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm doing as well as could be expected when Joe Biden has been in office for this many days and still owes me my two thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, he hasn't handed you your 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 envelope at the pay window, bro. I'm just like they told us if they won Georgia, if they won these runoffs, and you know if if they got into office, young boy was going to get two k. And you know I got big plans, things I would like to do with that money. Uh, there's a short squeeze going on, and I'd like to get in on that, but you know I don't. I'm, I don't have my stimmy money. <laughs> uh, so how am I gonna buy and hold? Gonna buy some uh, GameStop stock on my long position, so I can get paid out by these hedge fund managers. <laughs> but you know, like I, I need this play money, and Joe's Joe's fucking up, bro. Yeah, I don't know why he's having such a hard time. I mean, money is fake after all. I mean, he can just, you know, print some more and just, you know, send them out. 
Listen, bro, money is not fake. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> the the, the money is very real. <laughs> uh, oh my god. Yeah, the funniest thing is just like the other day we're in our group chat and you know the sh- you know the short squeeze is going on and everyone in our group is trying to explain what exactly is happening and i was just reading all these really bad like over like you know explanations and i'm like this is wrong they do not understand what this is <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty confident. The only person in our group, aside from me, that actually actually understood what was going on is Dan. Yeah, because because me and Dan would be talking separately, and I'm like, "Is everything they're saying sound wrong to you?" And he's like, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't say anything. I was just you know was watching the madness happen in the thread. People would be like, "This is what a short is," and I'm like, "Well, n- no, because it needs this." And someone else would be like, "Well, this is what a short is," and I'd be like, "Well, n- well, no, because it needs." <laughs> but all I know is, you know, I'd like to take advantage. You know, I'd like to, you know, buy up some, you know, some long position stock on, you know, AMC and shit like that. But you know, I, I need this stimmy money, so. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know what Joe's doing, bro. He's taking his sweet ass time. He's been present for, you know, a minute now. Yeah, need to get his act together. But uh, yep. we got a lot of New Japan to talk about here this evening. Uh, first thing we're gonna kick off with, so I don't forget. Like three weeks later is the January Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month, and. Man, this was very hard. I know there are months we normally have a hard time, but this was especially hard with Wrestle Kingdom, all the, the excellent matches that came out of that, and then um, some stuff that came out of New Beginning in Nagoya, which we're going to review in a second. Um, a, lot of, a lot of great performances, a lot of great wrestlers that had great performances this, this month, so it was a very tough uh, decision here. I, uh, I think... I, I think we might have potentially had months where maybe the wrestler of the month or the match of the month might have been more difficult, but I cannot recall any time where both of them were this hard simultaneously and also where our two opinions varied so drastically. Like every now and again, we'll have a disagreement or, or you know, what have you. But on this one, I mean, you've got an opinion. I've got an opinion, you know, prominent, you know, Raiders, Mr. Dave Meltzer, he's got opinions that differ from our opinions. And then you look at the ratings and bro, they're all over the place. And the one thing is that there's critical acclaim for performers as well as matches alike. They told us New Japan was dead. (laughs) They they said it was cooked, that it was finished. You know, it's a dying brand. This shit was a wrap, <laughs> but uh seems they're wrong. We actually had, I count, at least three possible deserving wrestlers of the month and at least five, you know, matches of the month. And we're not talking about, you know, October, King of Pro Wrestling time, you know, where there's not, you know, there's a junior tag tournament going on. No, we're talking about Wrestle Kingdom and New Beginning, like two of the biggest hardest hitting shows of you know the year and we've got like five near five star matches it's you know fucking insane yeah 
So I'll start off with the wrestler of the month because that was a little bit easier. So we decided to go with the Golden Star Kota Ibushi for the wrestler of the month for January. Two near five-star matches back-to-back, defeating Naito on night one, defeating Jay White on night two, and finally reaching the pinnacle, winning the IWGP heavyweight title along with the IC title. It was kind of a big moment. You know, everybody's been questioning, you know, when are they going to put the belt on Ibushi? When are they going to put the belt on Ibushi? When are they going to strap the rocket on this kid? And they finally did it. He's the champion. He's the man. He is a top guy in New Japan right now. And it was just a you know, special moment for him, special night, and two great performances. So, yeah, go to Ibushi. Yeah. Wrestler of the month. Very often if someone wins the IWGP title and they do it in, you know, impressive fashion – that puts him as a front runner for wrestler of the month. Uh, Shingo coming off his uh, back-to-back matches, the, the incredible performance against Jeff Cobb. And then, uh, you know, this banger that they just had uh, just a a few days ago with Tanahashi, um, you know, that put him in serious contention. And then there was obviously Will Ospreay having this incredible feud with Kojima, you know, that no DQ match as well as the incredible match he had with uh, Okada, both of them, very well deserving, but I mean, what when you look at the moments for Ibushi, the story that was told, plus the quality of the matches, I think I feel pretty confident that's the right way to go. Yeah. And then for the January match of the month, now this was literally like hair splitting right here, like picking this match up. Like Josh mentioned, there was literally five matches that we could have gone with up for contention: Okada, Osprey. Naito Ibushi, J.Y. Ibushi, Cobb and Shingo, uh, Shingo and Tanahashi. Literally any of these matches could, could be the match of the month, all getting anywhere between four and a half to five star ratings across the board on different grapple cage match, Meltzer between Josh and I. Uh, it, I think it really just comes down to your taste as a you know, wrestling uh, <laughs> raider, if that's how you like to classify yourself. I mean, um, it's one of those things where, like, I might give something four and a half, but I see the merit where someone else, like, you know, like, say, Cobb and Shingo, like, that's five-star match. Hey, you know, have at it. Uh, it was an awesome match. And, I, and these were all wildly different in styles. So I think that also plays into what your, you know, individual tastes are. But the, the big thing here is that, like – you just mentioned any one of these could have been the match of the month. And um, the one we're going with, I personally didn't even agree with or necessarily favor, you know, but we, I I kind of like uh, left it up to you, Jeremy. I also kind of left it up to the good folks over at grapple and cage match and our match of the month. Go ahead and take it away. Yeah, so the January match of the month will be the Never Openweight title match that just happened at New Beginning in Nagoya between Shingo and Tanahashi. And I will gush about this match later on when we get to our uh, Nagoya review. Awesome. Yeah, and I will give the contrarian view. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what's funny is like, I'm going to gush about the match as well because it was awesome. Uh, so, you know, it's funny when you're talking about matches of this kind of quality, you know, it, it is splitting hairs. Like, I thought that was a five-star match. That was a four-and-a-half-star <laughs> match. <laughs> Four and three quarters. <laughs> when, like, I remember growing up 
like whole years where like you didn't have anything like that in North America, like at all, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So uh, we're actually going to kick off uh, talking about NJPW strong uh, before we get into Nagoya this week. So Lions break contender happened on Friday, January 29th. We had Clark Connors defeating the DKC DKC. Now in his young line gear. We had uh, Chris Dickinson defeating Rocky Romero. And then in the main event, we had Fred Rosser, Leo Rush, and TJP defeating the Bullet Club team of El Fantasmo, Hikaleo, and Kenta. But the real big talking point here is the current IWGP U.S. champion, John Moxley, makes his strong debut by attacking Kenta post-match, lays out ELP, lays out Kenta, Holds the title up in the air, and we, we get the official wording from the IWGP committee that it will <laughs> be John Moxley defending the title against Kenta on February 26th, New Beginning USA on NJPW Strong. Let me ask you a question. So I made this tweet. I don't know if you noticed. I've been trying to be a little bit more active on the Twitter. Um, I think sometimes... I also got a. I also, I also sometimes get into fights with people on Twitter on on the, the account. I don't know if you'd be seeing that. I, I do. So people, if I know you, you've done a good job signing off your your initials. But if you ever see anybody arguing on at ki strong style, I would say ninety nine percent of the time it is not me. It is Josh. <laughs> I just after I get done, and I'm like, Jeremy's probably like, why is he playing on my damn phone? <laughs> well, the notifications start blowing up. I'm like. Why are we getting like a bunch of notifications? I didn't do anything. I'm like, I'm like oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I gotta stand up for truth sometimes. Um, but what I noticed, I so I put together this tweet, this great, lovely tweet. You know, has a picture of Mox and Kenta going face to face. I've got the hashtags. I've got the ats. I got everything. I think you need for like a good tweet, right? I send it, and and it's literally. Like, I watched this show, so I sent it out almost in real time. Like, I don't know what Jeremy was out. He was out living lavishly out on the town doing something. I'm uh, sure he's wearing a mask, but I don't know what he was doing. I was actually, I was watching uh, WandaVision, man. Oh, yo, it got pretty good this week, right? Dude, yeah, WandaVision's getting lit. Like, I haven't really liked it, but i just kind of been like, all right, well, I, I'm already three episodes deep. I, I might as well keep going. And then finally starting to come together, so it was pretty pretty sick but yeah um yeah jeremy's over here you know putting off his responsibilities you know <laughs> and, and i i'm i'm you know doing a good job for you guys so I, I send the tweet out and i'm like oh it's gonna blow up i've got like the people named i got like the hashtag for strong very little interaction jeremy comes out an hour later and just retweets what njpw global put out there that shit blows up why is it that when you tweet something from our account, it gets a lot of traction, but I tweet some shit out from our account, nothing, crickets. I don't get it. I don't know, man. Also, like, I didn't even see your tweet. Like, I saw somebody, like, I, I saw, like, the Mox, I think somebody in our third, like, said, like, oh, you know, Mox is on strong, whatever. So I was like, oh, crap, like, I need to, like, retweet this. <laughs> and so I, like, retweeted it real quick and not even, like, check the account. And so... Yeah, I, I always make sure to check the account before I tweet something out. So, you know, responsibility. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't you know, it doesn't matter because when you tweet something out, it just it 
more people interact with. I don't know. They just like you. It, it, they just know it's you somehow. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's fucked up. But um, yeah, man, this was this was uh, pretty awesome. I uh, I saw someone <laughs> put out a joke and they said Mox is really feuding with two different versions of the Bullet Club and two different companies simultaneously. <laughs> and uh, I was in the group chat joking. I was like. I was like, this man Mox is uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, nineteen ninety seven, fighting the Click. He's fighting the NWO on the one show, <laughs> fighting D Generation X on the other one. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. But yeah, what do you think, man? Of uh, Mox coming in to strong and you know set up the Kenta match. It's been widely speculated. We've speculated it here on this show. Uh, you know, we won't give any claims to have known that it was going on, but you know. Um, it made all this once he showed up at uh, Wrestle Kingdom from the soundstage is pretty clear that they'd already recorded this. It already occurred. Yeah. You know, why else? What else? I mean, they're going to bring him to the soundstage in December so that he can shoot a Wrestle Kingdom promo and then, you know, walk his happy ass home. Like, no, like <laughs> <laughs> that man went there to do battle. You know, he went to the, New Japan strong sound stage so he could whip some ass. So that was the whole reason, you know, that 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 took place. And uh what was awesome though was just the setup here. Uh you know, it was surprising, it wasn't expected at all. And the big question mark this whole time has been, you know, with him being, you know, a primary uh character and, you know, contracted wrestler with AEW and him not even having a contract with New Japan currently at all how was this going to play out because i mean i remember a year and a half ago at the G1 in Dallas he couldn't even you know be there because they were on Access TV and it was you know uh conflicting with you know his contract and the rules that they have with the AEW right so yeah that's always been the big thing yeah Mox not being allowed to wrestle on US TV for any other promotion besides AEW he could go to Japan all day he wants and also that was going to be the plan but obviously COVID happened and we all know the hot mess what happened there and so yeah the question mark was yeah was Tony Khan gonna let Mox and his AEW guy compete on Strong even though it's gonna be on NJPW World not on you know cable television or anything and so we got our answer. Um, you know, clearly there's been tons of reports and speculations that, you know, Tony Khan would like to, you know, quote unquote, open the forbidden door, kind of open working relationships with New Japan. And this could be the first step here um, and letting them use Mox on TV on their, you know, NJPW strong to do this big U.S. title match. Yeah. And, you know, it, they needed to make good at some point anyways. The one thing that did throw me off is like I assumed, you know, based off what we saw on Friday, I was like, okay, so they definitely like have already taped this. But then one line Mox threw out there is he said, you know, um, I'll see you in Tokyo or however we got to get it done, we'll get it done. And then I was like, oh, maybe they are going to do it. In Japan, <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And then, um, when I first saw the graphic for the match, I didn't read well and I just saw new beginning and I was like, Oh, are they like adding it on to the new beginning? Like, are, did they, did they like find some way to like get these guys into Japan? And then I realized, Oh, it's the new beginning in USA. Yeah. Oh, it's strong. So it's not <laughs> the same. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, I'm excited for the matchup. Um, something fans have been waiting for for a long time. You know, Strong is getting a lot of buzz over the last couple of weeks with some of the promos and angles I've been doing. It's kind of what we've been asking for, you know, promos, angles, story developments. Make it kind of blend in what's happening, you know, in New Japan, in Japan. Um, and so we're, we're finally kind of getting some continuity here between both sides and this Mox Kenta rivalry. And we're finally getting, you know, this is a real big money match that we're getting here on Strong. It's going to be a lot of eyeballs on the product in the next couple of weeks. Well, here's the thing. You don't have a television product in the States. You've got a U.S.-based show that's streaming on your uh, streaming service, and you want to grow that user base. You need something that's going to draw them. And, you know, so often, like we've mentioned on the show, we see it all the time online, people asking, how do I watch New Japan? How do I get involved with it? Yada, yada, yada. Well, one of the biggest stars in the world right now, especially fresh off his, you know, championship stint in AEW, you got John Moxley, you bring him on to strong. I've been seeing tons of people that are like, how do I watch this? And the only way they're going to be able to watch it, unless they go through some nefarious means, is getting a New Japan World subscription. So I think that this is going to be something that really catapults them to see an uptick, even if it's just for the month. Um, I'm assuming that like February is going to be a big month for subscriptions. Uh, you know, and that's relatively speaking. I'm not saying a hundred thousand or anything, but you know, it is going to be a jump and you know, maybe those same people will stick around and watch these other new beginning shows, uh, you know, or maybe the stuff going on into March, like, uh, castle attack or new Japan cup. So I think that's a good move. I think they're getting the most out of this that they possibly can given the circumstances. Yeah. And they're doing some great marketing too, which I'll talk about in the news as far as incentivizing new subscribers to sign up for. NJPW that's true too. World. Yes. Um, so they're really capitalizing on this and it's, yeah, it's very exciting. I'm gl- glad to see. And so, yeah, I agree with you. We'll definitely see, um, an increase in subscriber numbers here. Uh, and and I, I knew there was something I was forgetting. And yeah, the marketing has been fantastic. Um, that's one of the things that's really been missing when it comes to their U.S. expansion is just understanding that they need to get eyeballs on the product here in the States. And, you know, it's been misstep after misstep after misstep. Well, this is a great, hu- big, huge step in the right direction. I think it's I think it's really good. Um, any Final thoughts on this? You want to um, discuss anything that happened on the show? I mean, I watched it, so. <laughs> uh, I mean, overall, I mean, I thought all the matches were good. I really enjoyed uh, Chris Dickinson and Rocky Romero. Uh, Same. Really good matchup there. Really enjoying Chris Dickinson on strong. Um, definitely, we, we said it before, a guy I would like to see eventually head over to Japan at some point this year. But, yeah, a great addition to the roster there. Uh, the Bro. Man. He, he has to like he's sitting here talking about wrestling on the cerulean blue mat and just like putting over <laughs> yes. New Japan. He puts over New Japan harder than any other, uh, you know, like domestic talent here in the States that they've brought on. Um, yeah, so well, that- yeah, his promos are great. Yeah, he's almost going to turn babyface with, with the promos he cuts post match. He's like. I am here wrestling for this, this lion mark in the cerulean blue. I just beat one of the, you know, most decorated junior wrestlers in the company. Like, this man was cutting this fiery promo. I'm like, all right, like, I'm behind this guy. Like, let's go. Um, Yeah, Chris Dickinson, too. A lot of really good content on, like, his Twitter. Like, he's just kind of, like, throw. I, I, I mean, like. 
I'm sure he's always been a fan, so I don't want to say like it's just because he's on strong, but you can definitely tell that like since he's become more closely affiliated with the company, there's you know more of like a sense of uh, promotion behind what he's doing with his Twitter. Uh, also, was cool Kevin Kelly kind of pointing out why he wears the uh, the tight strings on the outside like Terry Gordy, mm-hmm. and I saw Chris Dickinson like comment and said like that was the first time an announcer had ever pointed out why he did that, you know? Yeah. Which like for me as like a supermarket, I knew that that was the case even without knowing that that was the case because that's what Terry Gordy did. And like the same way how like I didn't need anybody to tell me that Chris Dickinson wearing all purple on his first night was a, you know, a nod to Takata, you know? So this man is a cosplay wrestler at, at its finest. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. No, he, he's, uh, you know, throwing in these little cool homages, which is really nice. I liked the match between him and Rocky. Um, Clark Connors and DKC. DKC, man, a long-haired young lion. What do you think about that? It's very weird because and I'm, I'm trying to think back to like, the L.A. Dojo Young Lions. And to me, I think Gabriel Kidd is like, the only one that shaved his head, right? I feel like Frederick's. Connors and Coughlin all had never had to shave their heads, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think any of them had shaved heads that I remember. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, very weird. Yeah, DKC with the long hair, keeping the DKC name, but he, he had the black trunks on, the all black, you know, uh, moveset was uh, minimalized to what he could do. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, well, it's not a moveset, it's just uh, the moves that he is allowed to do. It's not. I mean, a moveset, that's for video games. It's not the same thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we got a black young lion. We got a hippie young lion. Like, I never thought we'd see the day, uh, you know, Shibata runs things different out there. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I love the fact that they're just putting over, like, how well uh, Clark Connors uses the Boston Crab and, like, just how, like, devastating his Boston Crab is compared to the other Young Lions, and they've been really putting him over with that. I, I mean, I'll tell you one thing that's interesting is like the way I learned to do a Boston Crab is completely different than the way everybody in New Japan does it. Which, like, it's just it's an interesting thing. And like, I remember um, when Timothy Thatcher had the Thatchest Thatch can. Um, I don't know if you remember those skits, and he talked about how he applies the Boston right crab. yeah the forearm why, yeah right and they hook they hook the forearm into the back of the like shin you know so that in kayfabe when they pull back on it it's like that added torque you know mm-hmm. almost like it's like a uh like an ankle lock while they're sitting on their back or whatever but like the way that i learned it from matt seidel is essentially the malenko way where we hook all the way behind the knees because it's the deepest hook that you could possibly get so that they cannot squirm out of it, you know? And it, and it's, it's, and I like, I I like asked my like trainers, it's like, can I do it the way they do it in New Japan? Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, it's interesting, but yeah, I mean, uh, they really have been putting over the fact that like Clark has been, um, you know, perfecting the Boston crab. I don't understand why if he, can perfect the Boston Crab. El Fantasmo can't perfect the super kick, but uh I'll let that one rest. <laughs> well speaking all of these that. all these uh 
all these people that think that he's got something in his foot, I bet they're all like Q supporters. <laughs> well, speaking <laughs> he's, of, he's fucking conspiracy theorist, bro. Speaking of El Fantasmo, uh, he ate the pinfall in the main event, uh, de- debuting Leo Rush, making his strong debut this week. Pinned El Fantasmo, which is going to set up a match with those guys later on, which. You know, it's kind of a good sign for, for Leo Rush to be pinning, you know, one half of the current Junior Tag Champs, the Super J Cup winner. Um, you know, as of right now, it looks like Best of Super Juniors will happen again in April. So maybe we can get Leo Rush over in Japan for that tournament. So that'd be great. They got a lot of really great junior talent to draw from here uh, on Strong and some of the guys also that were involved with the uh, – uh, Jacob, and I mean that's not even to mention like the CMLL and Ring of Honor guys. I mean they've got a lot of talent to <laughs> yeah. pull from if they decide to bring people over. Um, one thing I thought was really funny was at the end of this match. Uh, <laughs> actually, might have been I don't remember which match it was. It might have been the Chris Dickinson match, but um, uh, who's the commentator? Alex Kozlov. Yeah, yeah, bro. He like. Someone did a uh, Death Valley Driver, and he was like, burning hammer. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Dude, I was like, S-M-H. Yeah, I, I, I just shook <laughs> my head. Dude, yeah, he, he called a couple things wrong um, throughout this he show. Call, he called someone by the wrong name right after that. I think, uh, yeah, he said the wrong guy won right after that, too. And I was like, oh, my God. Or called, <laughs> called him the wrong name. I was like, what? how did they let this air? <laughs> Dude, no, yeah, this is tape. Come on, guys. Um, but, yeah. Solid main event here sets up Leo Rush, uh, ELP rivalry. We get the Mox run in, set up the Mox Kenta match. So a very eventful episode of NJPW Strong this week, and going to run down what's coming up the next couple of weeks. But uh, we had a question here from Sir Sam over at Wrestling Headlines, and he says, "How much harder does the NJPW Mox seem slap than the AEW one?" I'm going to go with a Doki slap versus a Suzuki slap. Okay, I follow everything, but what I don't understand is uh, what does he mean by Doki slap versus a Suzuki slap? So uh, it sounds to me, I understand that he's saying that the AEW theme would be a Doki slap, whereas the NJPW's theme would be a Suzuki slap. A Suzuki slap's harder. Well, I've noticed lately on this tour, especially recently when Doki was facing off with a couple guys, that like his slaps are fucking hard as hell. So, I mean... If he's saying maybe if what he's trying, I don't know if he's trying to say that Doki's slaps suck and Mox's slaps suck, or if he's saying like Doki slaps hard, just not as hard as Suzuki, and that you know, and that's how he's like likening it to the themes. But uh, you know, I'm not really a theme guy, so I don't even know what Mox's music in <laughs> AW even sounds like. But I do know what his music in New Japan sounds like because it's got that that uh big riff you know electric guitar intro that almost sounds like uh the beginning of dove's cry um by prince it reminds me of that a little bit so that's why i kind of know it but uh to me the the whole entire character of as great as he he's been in aw and there's no denying he's been awesome bro the death rider is so much better than paradigm shift John Moxley, especially <laughs> with the fucking fight gear and the leather jacket and coming through the crowd. It's just a different, it's a different guy, bro. 
Yeah, I mean, I I like both themes, but I do like the New Japan themes a little bit more. And I wish he could use that both places. And you know, I wish he would stick with the the shorts gear. You know, the the MMA look because he's dropped that in New Japan also. Cause remember in he fought Suzuki in the the, the long uh, camo pants at um, New Beginning last year. Uh, yeah, he might be dropping it. He he also uh, wore the traditional you know trunks uh the the biker shorts in aw a time or two on um dynamite so you know who knows but uh yeah man it i kind of like the idea of there being like a u.s mox and a japanese mox like <laughs> i i know that there's other guys who've actually done something like this that like they have a different person or like you know like mick foley you yeah know? McFoley, like, you know, there's Cactus Jack in WCW, but then there's Cactus Jack, you know, working FMW and shit like that. It's yeah. not, you know, it's Blowing different. Blowing himself up. <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of like that sort of that sort of idea. Yeah. So we'll run down what's coming up here. So the next tour is the New Beginning USA, and so things will kick off with the Road to New Beginning USA. And so February 5th, there's going to be Kevin Knight versus DKC. Barrett Brown, Brody King, the Regal Twins against Adrian Quest, Bateman, Jordan Clearwater, and Mysterioso. And the main event that night is going to be TJP versus Ray Horace. And on February 12th, we'll have Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson, and Dane Limelight against Ren Narita and TJP. And then moving on to the actual new beginning in USA shows on February 19th, we're going to have El Fantasmo versus Leo Rush. And then on February 26th, the IWGP U.S. heavyweight title on the line. The Death Rider, John Moxley, will defend against Kenta. I mean, both of those main events on those nights sound pretty incredible. So um, I hope that they give both of those shows like time for those main events to actually, you know, maybe maybe we don't do three or four matches on those nights. We just do the two. That would be really cool. Yeah. And we had a question here from Muzza. He says, with the New Beginning USA matches being announced and some looking good, could we be seeing more stronger New Japan Strong shows, pun fully intended? Uh, I mean, yeah. I, it sounds like we could potentially. Um, and maybe not. I think, I kind of think they're still just uh, trying to figure this thing out as they go because they're on a taping schedule. I think it will depend on what talents are or aren't available, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're they're kind of working with the skeleton crew, you know? They're, but at the same time, right now, we happen to know that a lot of the talent that was in Japan back in December, back in January, is now home here domestically and probably available to do another set of tapings either, you know, this month or, or next month. So... You know, who knows? We might be seeing more of Jeff Cobb and different people like that on on some of these bigger shows going forward. It's uh, you know, who knows? Yeah, maybe uh, Chase Owens will defend his Texas heavyweight title. Yeah, I saw him talking about that. So, like, he, wh- what's the deal? He is that like a? I, I don't even know what that title is. Yeah, I, I don't know what promotion it's for. All I know is he's now the the Texas heavyweight champion. Gotcha. So. Yeah, maybe he'll defend that on Strong. So that's going to wrap up our Strong coverage for this episode. Now we're going to talk about the new beginning in Nagoya. Big show here that happened this past Saturday in Nagoya. 
show opened up with chaos team of Kazuchika Okada and Toriano defeating the Bull Club team of Evil and Ujo Takahashi in 7 minutes and 46 seconds. Then we had Koto Ibushi, Master Wato, Sho, and Tomio Kahanma defeating the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. We had a question here from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch VV. With Bushi's title reign feeling more and more like a transitional run, do you think his run will last over under 98 days? His longest, his two longest KOD openweight title runs lasted 98 days. Okay. Well, I mean, that would be outside of, you know, um, New Japan. I mean, that was his home promotion with DDT. That's their top title. And, you know, he was never a lengthy title holder. You know, we're t- you're basically talking about three, a little over three months in both cases. So um, I, I get the feeling personally and others might disagree with me (laughs) and maybe not like this idea but i get the feeling i'm not gonna say he's a transitional champion but i don't get the feeling that he's gonna have a six month or something like that title reign that's just my personal feeling yeah i don't know i have i I don't really have a feel for it because i feel like there are some big matches that they could do to prolong the title reign i think there's some interesting uh, fresh matchups, some interesting rivals you can uh, run back to that you could do, and so I could I, I can see it going either way. Honestly, like there there are all the matches set up for if they want to extend this out to let's say Dominion time, or they could, there's also the possibility of him dropping it. Who knows a Castle Attack depending on who he's facing on, on that show. So. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. If there are a lot of new interesting matchups and stories you can tell with the Bushi as champion, so. That's all kind of right there, but at the same time, it is business, so it kind of depends on how you look at it. I mean, you know, for all the people that were screaming last year about how, you know, you you really can't draw anyway, so now's the time to experiment with, say, evil. Well, you could apply that same logic to Ibushi and say, uh, you know, hey, maybe he's not quite the draw that Naito or Okada or, you know, any of these other guys are, so why not try and make him? Uh, through this reign but then there's the other way of looking at it and saying like you know he is like an uber baby face and there's more money in the chase with him than there is with him sitting on top with the title which is kind of how i lean i wouldn't be opposed to him holding the belt for a while um we actually did get a comment um from reddit user steven rice on this he kind of uh added a little bit of color to this so you mind if i read it go go for it so he said uh just curious why do you uh say abushi's run feels like a transitional one he hasn't even had uh two defenses yet and hasn't been made to look weak sonata is almost certainly not going to beat him and we have no idea whose next challenger will be they've barely even started to tell any story with coda just yet so it seems kind of weird he'd be dropping the belt anytime soon i genuinely drink uh think he drops the title at dominion at the earliest you can't predict gato though but i was just curious what signs you're seeing that lead you to believe abushi's run is a transitional one and that's the thing i'm not seeing anything what they're doing right now that's saying that's what make me think oh for sure it's going to be a transitional run I well, it kind of depends um, what you think they like. Here's my thinking: if he's definitely gonna beat Sonata, right? Mm-hmm. He's already beaten, and then he beat Jay White, so that's two title defenses in a short period of time. I think you go to Castle Attack. 
I think it's most likely that whoever he faces at Castle Tech will be somebody he can beat. You know, someone like a Sonata. That's three. Plus, he's probably going to end up wrestling Hiromu um, at the uh, anniversary show. At the anniversary show, most likely. So you're talking about four big matches in a short period of time. To me, that leaves him just based off of history ripe for a big title change at Invasion Attack this year. Um, I just I see the guys that are coming up in this uh, in this New Japan Cup, and it feels like it feels like the right time to put the title on like Will Osprey. That's my thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just feel like if you're going to have Will Ospreay beat somebody, Ibushi's the perfect guy to to have him beat. And then there's matches between them down the road, but there's there's so many other matches as well for, for Will as champion. I don't know. That's just kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, you consider that transitional champion, even though he has like he would have like about three or four defenses under his belt by that time? No, I think that that's good. I think that th- this is pretty standard booking for how they usually treat a first-time IWGP champion, uh, if not better. You yeah. know, it, it's very common for a first-time IWGP champion to not have a lengthy run. And one reason I feel like they're going to give him, you know, sort of a a, a shorter run like this is just because, uh, how do I put it? There are certain guys that when they win the belt, they come in with all the momentum in the world. They feel like the hottest thing, and it just feels like they're going to hold that thing for a long, long, long time. You know, your Tanahashi's, your Okada's, even, say, Naito. To me, Ibushi never felt that way. Yeah. It felt like him winning it was the crowning moment, and his story is kind of told. I don't know what the next story is that you're going to tell, aside from him just holding the belt. He needs some sort of rival. He needs something really to propel like the public imagination. And I don't think a long lofty title reign is going to do that. I don't think he's in that position to be the ace, the way that Naito or uh, Okada have been over the past few years, or even say Kenny Omega. I think that I think there's more money in having a heel beat him. And now he has something to come back after. Yeah. And cause I guess like, I agree with you there. Like I don't see him holding the title for a year long or like breaking Okada's record or anything like that. But at the same time, if he holds the belt until April or May, I don't consider that transitional. Like if he somehow lost a Sonata, then I would say okay, that that's a transitional run. Uh, but if he gets to you know whatever to whatever the April show is going to be, and then or gets to Dontaku in May, then I'm like that's you know a solid first title reign there, and I, I think it's a good first title reign. Right, and I and I hope I'm making myself clear. I'm agreeing with you. I don't yeah. think that it. Okay. Yeah, we're yeah, yeah we're we're on the same point. Yeah. Because I was gonna say I was like three three title defenses in a short period of time plus a high profile match with Hiromu. That sounds like pretty um, successful first title defense. This sounds better uh, than say like Jay White's first title reign, if you recall, which back then people thought we were, you know, they thought that him losing the title to Okada after, you know, two or three months was too short. And we were t- telling everybody back then, this is pretty much in line with how they've booked many, many, many IWGP first time IWGP uh, champions in the past. And it just seems like that's traditional new Japan booking. I just, 
I think the thing for me is this. Most people are asking, what's the indicators that you're looking for that say he's not going to have a lengthy reign? That's not what you look for. What you should be looking for are what are the indicators that he will be having a lengthy reign? Because if you don't see indicators that an IWGP champion is going to have a lengthy reign, they are not going to have a lengthy reign. You need those indicators that tell you the company is for sure going with the guy long term. Stories, feuds, something built in. You knew you knew Okada was going with it for a while. You knew Kenny Omega was going with it for a while. You knew Tanahashi was. Nagata, guys like that. Naito. There's nothing like that to indicate for Abushi, and that's actually the more concerning thing than the than the uh, than the other way of thinking of it. So right. that's that's what tells me they're going to give him a really good, strong four month reign, probably maybe five, and he's dropping that shit. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually there's somebody I think he's dropping it to, but I don't want to talk about that person just yet at this point of the show. Why you think it's Shingo? No, I don't think it's Shingo. We'll, we'll talk. Oh. We'll, we'll talk about it when we get to uh, Road a New Beginning. Um, Hanma. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Hanma's in this heat if you with Naito right now. That, that could lead to um, you know him getting a number one contender <laughs> match. Which, speaking of uh, Hanma and Naito, question from Ready User Dom Homie 101. He says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you guys rate Naito's imp- impersonation of Hanma? Are they talking about the uh, backstage promo where he just said mumble, mumble, mumble over and over again? Well, he's just going rah, 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 rah. And then the, the translation just puts like grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> oh, I thought, so, you know, I don't speak Japanese, so I just thought he was saying the word grumble. No, he's going but rah, just, he's just going rah, rah, rah. Oh, very like <laughs> describing how he was grumbling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I thought he was actually like in a raspy voice just saying grumble, 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 like, you know, like yeah. wah wah wah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I saw someone like tweet and they're like they're like Naito just cut uh, you know, promo of the year on the same level as Jay White at the Tokyo <laughs> Dome. And I was like, Oh shit, I gotta check this out and then he was like Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> and then, and then, you know what? The first thing I thought to myself: Oh, Naito, you're so cool. You're so tranquilo. This shit's a grift, bro. <laughs> o- only someone who really cares acts out that way. He acts out because he's hurt. Hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> Never forget. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's a pretty spot-on impersonation. I mean. Sounds pretty close to, to how I'm trying to talk. So, have you ever seen um, Pan's Labyrinth? I have not. They've got a uh, character who's a fawn, um, which is like a mythical creature, and he s- literally speaks in the graveliest voice ever. And like the first time I ever heard Hanma, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, I was like, <laughs> "He's like a like, like a Del Toro character. It's crazy." <laughs> Uh, so moving on to the next match up here, our first uh, big match on this Nagoya card. We had the great Okan versus Hiroshi Tenzon. Loser must stop doing the Mongolian chops. Uh, our boy, the great Okan, he defeats Tenzon 12 minutes and 45 seconds. So what do you think about this matchup? I have been vocal that I did not like the long boy pants uh, in the past. Um, you know, it does appear that he's breaking those out for the big, 
you know, quote unquote, big singles matches. This was one of them, but he got new gear, you know, new pants. So, I mean, he really took this one seriously because <laughs> I mean, he, and I, I actually liked, uh, the new gear that he kind of had. It, it didn't look as hokey and cheesy. He probably got that, uh, wrestle kingdom payday and kind of decided to in, invest in himself. Got that Obari, got that Obari money. Yeah, the same way I'm trying to get that Biden money so I can invest <laughs> yeah. in this short squeeze, but no one's going to let me. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I thought this was fine. Um, 12 minutes, 45 seconds might have been a bit long, but, I mean, I, I thought it was enjoyable. Um, I, I've seen Dave Meltzer bury the shit out of this. I don't really understand why because, I mean, it's Tenzon and he's old as fuck and you, <laughs> you kind of don't expect – things to be great but uh you know apparently okan still is a uh, charisma black hole and just does not have it and uh you know whatever yeah that. <laughs> i thought it, but i thought it was fine you know i didn't think it was a great match i didn't think it was a bad match uh i didn't think it needed to be it was you know it was telling the story of you know t- uh tenzon passing on the mongolian chops to okan like we had kind of speculated it's got three star, literally a three star rating on both grapple and and cage match, which is probably what I'd give it. So uh, that, along with the story, I, I I I was entertained. I thought it was fine. Yeah, uh, personally, I went three and a quarter on it. Uh, I thought it was. You, you know, know. I, I'll jump up with you. I'll give it that <laughs> extra quarter. I don't give a fuck. And I think the thing here with this match and the next match we'll talk about with Osprey and Kojima, the heat really helped elevate it. So also, yeah. yes, it was not a Okada Tanahashi five star classic with a series of five star matches leading into this match. No, they told a great story of Great Okan taking out Tenzon at New Year's Dash, building up the feud on the Road to Show, having Tenzon come back, having these wild and crazy brawls of the DQs and um, no contest finishes, and then putting up the Mongolian chop online. And we talked about it last week. You know just how big. The Mongolian chop, you know, is Tenzon, one of the, you know, because Tenzon's a big star. He was a big star, you know, one of the biggest stars in New Japan in, in recent times, and especially during that dark era, dark age era. Mongolian chop, one of his biggest moves. I mean, that would be like, you know, if The Rock couldn't do the people's elbow anymore. Like, the Mongolian chop's like one of his big things, and the crowd pops for it. I don't, I, I you know what was funny the other day? I was going to say that, but I was thinking, I was like, the people's elbow's too big. You know what it'd be like? It'd be like if he couldn't do. I know it's not. I know it's a sequence, but if he couldn't do the one, like the punches, the one, two, three, look back, spit in the hand, and hit you with the third one. Right. Yeah. If, if he wasn't allowed to do that spot, which every, I mean, it's not his finish, but I mean, he's not. The Rock does that in every match. Right. If if the Rock, I mean, even now, if the Rock doesn't wrestle, if he's going to like, you know go face to face with the Dolph Ziggler. He's going to do the one, two, three spit in the hand. Boom. Like, and if he can't do that, I mean, he's not the rock. Right. And so, yeah, the, the Mullen chops was very important to Tenzon. And so it was, it was a big deal here. And great O'Connor had made that a part of his arsenal coming back from excursion. So it, it made all sense with everything they did in the build and in the, in the stipulation. Like we said, um, this was kind of the passing of the torch moment. Tenzon, now has to retire the Mongolian chops. It's, you know, Gray O'Con could do it. And now Gray O'Con is going to get heat every time he does it. Because uh, it, it mean, his moves mean more now because he took it from Tenzon. Right. Yeah, I, I liked this. I like the stakes. I like the story. Um, I, and again, it's like what I talked about last week is just like context. You know, if you're not watching the product and you're, 
you know, surveying and judging everything in a vacuum, maybe you don't get this or maybe it's not going to be entertaining to you, I suppose. But I mean, if you're following along with the stories or if you're even reasonably, you know, informed about what's going on, it makes all the sense in the world. So I, I dug this. Yeah. And I thought Tenzon did the best he could even busted out a moonsault attempt and, you know, gave it his all. So yeah. Yeah. He, uh, (laughs) he, uh, he didn't get very high up on that dominator though. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, moving on to the semi-main event of the evening No disqualification match The Commonwealth Kingpin Will Ospreay Defeats my man, the leader of the bread club, Satoshi Kojima 16 minutes, 57 seconds Yeah, this was really cool Um, Just balls to the wall action, super intense Um, You know the reason that this match needed to be no DQ is because Osprey and Kojima in particular, all throughout the new beginning tour, every time that Tenkoji and the United empire have gone head to head and got those matches thrown out, it's primarily been because of will and Kojima. And so they had to settle this in a no DQ match. And these guys came out ready to fight. They came out, you know, this was no flex zone. They were not playing games. Yeah, Osprey um, coming out with the trash can of weapons, coming out with the guitar. Yeah, came out Jeff like, Jarrett like, on. Yeah, like Elias. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ready, ready to play it, pl- pick a tune on you boys. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, this one thing is like in the New Japan setting, weapon shots and ladder spots and things like that, they, they, you get more bang for your buck because it's seen so rarely in this sort of environment. So it's almost like the, it has more of a novelty. You know, this didn't need to be a freedoms match or CZW or anything like that to kind of get the, the crowd going. It wasn't a, quite a death match. But, I mean, these guys took their licks. They had some really cool inventive spots. There was one spot that was super gift um, where they had the ladder – set up on the outside and it was just to be clear this was not a full like the kind of ladder that you stand up and fold uh your traditional ladder this was sort of like god i don't even know how you describe it like those flimsy ladders that can fold into uh you know into a tight space and like i don't even use those ladders like (laughs) i don't even know where they fucking got this ladder from and um, I saw them set it up, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Because obviously, it's one of those things where it's like it was it was wedged between the apron and the barricade, so you kind of knew that eventually someone was going to go through it. And I I just knew it had to be Will because the ladder was so thin. I'm like, whoever goes through that, it offers no protection. They're just going to take a a seriously bad bump on the outside. And lo and behold, this man's up on the top rope. It's the strongest lariat. He takes one of the nastiest dives through that, you know, flimsy ass. You know, that was that was the opposite of a strong style (laughs) ladder. Yeah, that yeah, that was not strong style ladder, dude. I I popped for that spot. That was I loved that spot. I I jumped up once. Yeah, Kojima hit that lariat. Osprey goes flying. There's so many uh, great spots here. I mean, Kojima ate a power bomb through a table that just just the table exploded, which you rarely rarely see. the aforementioned guitar, Kojima got his hands on that, bashed it over Osprey's head. Um, there was Kojima doing a hip toss to Osprey on a, a chair that was set up. 
Uh, these guys are doing a lot of crazy spots. Kojima, 50 years old. He, he didn't have to go out here and do this crazy match and take all these crazy bumps and do this crazy match, but he went out here and really had a hell of a plunder brawl here with Osprey. Well, you know, I think he had a goal in mind, and that was to make Will Ospreay look as good as possible, give him, like, the quote-unquote real man match, and that was something he did here. Um, I loved the way they laid this out because, you know, we see a, we see plunder brawls all the time. You see uh, spot fest, big moves. I mean, the moves are getting bigger and bigger every year. Um, and I know sometimes it sounds like I'm a hater of that style of wrestling, and I'm not. But what I'm but it doesn't affect me the same way as other people if they're not necessarily done in the right way. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you do say like, uh, a Canadian destroyer, that's cool. You know, it is cool. But if you do it at the right time in the match to where it's memorable, then you're going to get more reaction from someone like me, as opposed to if it's just a throwaway move in the middle of the match that doesn't really lead to anything. And what I noticed with these guys they didn't a lot of the really cool stuff they did at the end it was just all in sequence i mean the freaking hidden blade with the chair in front of kojima's face yeah and then he followed up with another one just prior to that will had tried to go for a freaking um oh, the os cutter uh, lar- lariat counter was awesome yeah and those moments like they they built that finish up those fi- finishing sequences with those big you know dives through the table i mean how often do we see matches where there's a, a million table bumps, there's a million ladder bumps, and it's happening and it's chaotic and it is good, but you don't really remember it. But in this match, like it's going to be hard for me to forget, you know, the Death Valley driver through that table, you know, the s- strongest lariat off the top rope into the freaking ladder. Like that stuff's going to stick out to me. And I mean, um, I actually think people are slightly, maybe even underrating this match just a little bit because of the fact that it was an older Kojima mm-hmm. and everything like that. I mean, I really thought they fucking delivered here. What, what do you think that I rated this match? Four and a half. Yep. Yeah. I think that's where I would go to, to be honest with you. And I'm, um, I know this might sound ludicrous to some people. Okay. But just hear me out. I found this match in a certain way to be similar in the way I felt about Shingo and Jeff Cobb, just like, holy shit, that really blew me away. Like, I I don't feel confident enough to go like the full five on it or anything like that, but I'm just like, God, they really fucking brought it. Like they really went out there and like killed themselves. That was awesome. This is the kind of wrestling I like. Yeah. Dude, I I was thinking about, it. I was like, you know, saw a lot of people throwing four, four and a quarter. And I'm like, Am I overrating this? I'm like, nah, screw it. No, Four and no. a half. This match was freaking awesome. My man Kojima went out there and killed it. Uh, yeah, this was a great matchup. I mean, if Kojima was younger, maybe it could have gotten to that four and three quarter five star level. But I, I it was perfect. I mean, yeah. that, the story they were telling was the the old guard taking on the, the new guard. You know, th- there was a lot of heat here. Uh, I, I definitely think a live crowd. Uh, oh yeah, that would a live yeah. vocal crowd would have even maybe probably elevated this even better. This um did B did B get involved in this too? No, B previously was not there. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, this was this was awesome. And one thing I wanted to make note that we haven't talked about it. This is how you do a stipulation match correctly. 
You know, yeah. people were all excited about KOPW and how that would, you know, <laughs> introduce stipulation matches. Like, this is how you do a stipulation match. You build heat. You build a rivalry. What was the rivalry around? These guys literally bashing each other with chairs. They couldn't matches being disqualified, thrown out, no contest. So the only thing you could do to make sense so that the match could actually be have a finish is to do a no DQ match. Weeks of building it up. You had promos. You had angles. It all made sense, and you build to this. You make the stipulation mean something. Yeah, I got to talk about this for a second. So the past couple weeks, uh, Dave Meltzer's been throwing out some shade at some of the New Japan shows, specifically this feud. Uh, like I, I don't think he watched all the New Beginning shows, but he watched the one from Saturday, and he gave a really bad rating. I think it was like two stars to the um, the tag match between Tenkoji and. Uh, United Empire and he was like and then I heard him do an audio about it about like why DQs don't work in this day and age and you know and I'm like holy shit like how how can this person that I listen to all the time that preaches about <laughs> <laughs> about stipulations and and the right build and heat and how things were back in all Japan in the 70s and in the 80s not get what they're doing <laughs> Right, <laughs> like you know, and and all of us young whippersnappers, you know, we see exactly what the fuck they're doing, and um, yeah, I mean, it was very clear, like you mentioned, that the reason for this stipulation built off of the results of all the tag matches. You know, they kept getting disqualified, so let's go ahead and x that out of the out of the menu, and let's just do a, a no DQ match, and and we can figure out really you know, who's the baddest man. And I, I fucking love that. Yeah. So I absolutely love this match. Um, we had a question here from Reddit user Viking pain. He says, did anyone tell will that WWE ladders are gimmicked and made of thin metal? Cause that ladder spot must've hurt like hell. Also, I thought Kojima and Tenzan were awesome in their respective matches. We know Osprey and Ocon are moving up the cards, but what about the dads? No, the dads will not be moving up. In fact, I mean, Situations like this are what they're there. They're utility guys. Uh, every now and again, you dust them off. You bring you bring them out to help elevate someone else. Uh, they they might get an attaboy here or there. You know, um, who knows? But they're not going to get an actual sustained push or elevation in the traditional sense. Yeah, I mean, with Tenzon losing the Mongolian chops, I, I think we are seeing the beginning of the end for him. Um, I could see this being his last, you know, active year, if not some retiring within the middle of the year, possibly. But I think he's going to be done soon. And then I think Kojima is just going to just kind of slot back into that role. Maybe he'll be teaming with Nagata to face Young Lions, and maybe he'll have like a lower card fee with somebody. But unless they need need him um, because of pandemic reasons, the travel restriction reasons, to step up in another feud like this. But I don't see you know Kojima you know getting a title shot anytime soon. This is not the beginning of the end for Tenzon. That started in like 2015. <laughs> Remember how Inoki had that like eight year retirement uh, series? That's what that's what uh, Tenzon's been on this ever since his last G1. Like he's been on an eight year odyssey of retirement. That's all this shit is. He's been on that uh, Tiger Hattori. Yeah, yeah, the Tiger Hattori story. <laughs> All right, now we got to talk about the main event, the never open weight title match. The ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, defeats the dragon Shingo Takagi 
35-40, the longest never open weight title match in history. Tanahashi is now the ace of never. Do you want me to gush first, or do you do you want to um, give your opinion on the match first? Oh, you can go ahead. That's fine. Okay. Well, I absolutely love this match. I thought this match was absolutely incredible. Uh, I thought it was a classic. Uh, by now, most of you know I went the full five stars on this match. I just start, start from beginning to end. It was just built beautifully. You had Tanahashi working over Shingo's legs at the beginning, dragging screws, getting into the clover leaf, then Shingo coming coming back, trying to work over Tanahashi's legs. Then you had the, the, the big exchanging of strikes, big exchanging of moves. You have Shingo being disrespectful, using the dragon screw, using the twist and shout. Um, Tanahashi outsmarting Shingo's at, at parts. You know, Shingo looking for the big, you know, never strike exchange, and Tanahashi being like, nah, I'm not doing that. Dragon screw, hold this. Um, and just so many great counters um, in between their big moves. Obviously, um, lost my mind when Shingo dropped Tanahashi right on his damn head with that made in Japan. Um, I, I thought Tanahashi was going to be out of it from there. Uh, you know, we got big match ace with the high fly flow to the outside of the ring. Um, yeah, just so many great counters between the sling blade, the last of the dragon. Uh, until we finally get that final sequence where he he counters the last of the dragon with the sling blade, hits the dragon suplex, and hits the high fly flow uh, to get the big win. Just just love this match. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I thought this match was outstanding. Uh, there was a lot to really dig your teeth into. You know, when I think of like the big match style of New Japan. Um, big match main event style. This is exactly what I usually think of. Uh, you know, longer told stories that are kind of layered and build off one another that lead to, you know, crazy exciting finishes, which is exactly what we got here. So this was very prototypical in a certain sense, but at the same time, really stood out for quite a few reasons. I mean, Sort a dream match of sorts. Shingo and Tanahashi never, you know, wrestled in a one-on-one situation ever before. Um, the intrigue, the fact that, like, at this point, Shingo is probably, if not amongst the best um, never champions of all time. He may even be the best never champion at this point. And you know, Tanahashi's never challenged for this title, and he is the ace and. You know, a lot of speculation about what's going on in the company, especially with their potentially, you know, unifying the two top titles in the company. That would make this de- the de facto number two belt in the company. So, I mean, having someone of the ilk of Tanahashi fight for this title really adds a lot of prestige. Um, the legwork that was done early between both guys was a big part of the story that was here towards the end. The false finishes uh, were just really, really incredible. Um, I was sort of expecting, because it was a never match, for them to wrestle more of that never style. Not to say that this wasn't physical in the least bit. It was very physical, but this was more, like I mentioned, your traditional Tanahashi New Japan style. Right, this was like an IWGP title main event style match. Yeah, I I was thinking about this watching it, and I don't even think that they went into a big forearm exchange until the very tail end of the match was when they started. And that's something that that's a hallmark, you know, kind of uh, thing that you see in big 
title matches for the IWGB title. Uh, it's, you know, sort of a trope. Um, and then, you know, the surprise at the end when uh, Tanahashi is able to overcome and, and put Shingo away. Uh, obviously, we got to talk about the gift moment that everyone has seen where uh, Tanahashi gets uh, made in Japan right on his head and neck. Yes. Yeah, I mentioned that. Yeah, I I, I screened when that happened. That was absolutely crazy. Um, also, I guess he didn't get his head tucked in in time. Or I don't know what, what happened there. But, yeah, Shingo just drilled him. Right on his head with that. Um, hopefully he's okay and you know will be able to be fine because I know a lot of times you don't see the effect of something like that till later on, um, kind of after the adrenaline wears off. Um, with all that being said, um, and here's going to be the but: there were some things for me. Uh, number one, I didn't. I saw this match spoiled, so I kind of already knew what had happened, and then I saw the hype. And I mean, the hype that I saw was like, like, whole, like, you know, I thought that everything we saw at Wrestle Kingdom this past month was, uh, you know, just outstanding. And then I saw people saying like, this blew all of that away. Uh, I saw people saying that had this happened back in 20, in December, let's say that it for sure would have been the 2021 match of the year that New Japan hadn't had a match like this in year, you know, in a, in a long time. So I'm thinking, like, holy shit, Okada, Omega, you know, sort, you know, something of that sort of nature. I was like, you know, we're getting like an Okada, Shibata match here, and um, I gotta tell you, watching it, even though I didn't watch it, you know, unspoiled, I don't feel we got that. I felt like we got a really, 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 re- really good match. I'm, I'm going four and a half on this thing. Um, I did feel like the match might've gone a little too long. Um, I don't think that it overstayed its welcome, but I felt like the early leg work was a little bit slow monotonous. And even though they tried to sell it, I didn't think it was completely necessary for the story, except for, I think they needed to fill the time. And then the other thing too is, um, I just feel like, and you know, we always talk about rating matches. It's a gut thing. I see Tanahashi and Shingo have like a million better matches than this. And I'm seeing people throw fives on it, but I'm like, you know, when I saw Shingo and Osprey, there was no doubt that was a five star match. But this, I don't think this holds a candle to that match. And that was, you know, the match of the year two years ago. So that's, that's my one thing. And that's not to say the match isn't outstanding and incredible, but I think, I think there's a possibility because people love these two guys so much. And because of that one spot where Tanahashi got dropped on his neck, and then also the fact that Tanahashi won, I think people are overrating this match just slightly. Not to say it's not an incredible match, but I do think people are overrating it. And to a, another spot for me was where I was already about to throw five was when um, Tanahashi hits a dragon suplex and the sling blade. Shingo kicks out at one. He pops up. It's a pumping bomber. Tanahashi kicks out at one. At that point, I was like, here we that go, baby. Awesome. I'm like... Take my stars. Here you go. Here you go. One, two, three, four, five. I don't care what happens after this. Like this is incredible. Um, yeah. So I mean, but that's that's my two cents. That's I don't want to like shit all over it because I know people love it, and you know I like it too. I just feel like nine. It's got nine point five on uh, Cage Match. Maybe I need to rewatch it. You know, that's definitely a possibility. I, I liked last year the one Shingo match that everyone rated a lot higher than me was the Okada match. 
and I went back and rewatched it, and I still felt the same way. I liked this a lot more than Shingo and Okada. So, I mean, I totally get why people are in love with it, but um, to me, I didn't think it. I don't even think it was. It's this year's match of the year already. You know, that's just my feeling. Yeah. But but we'll see. I mean, uh, people are really into this match, so. Which and we like we mentioned earlier when we were talking about match of the month, there's a, already a handful of matches that I can see anybody arguing to be their current match of the year right now, based off of what happened at Wrestle Kingdom and then this match up here. I mean, personally for me, I don't know. I just really love this match. And for me, this is my match of the year right now. I I like this match better than anything at Wrestle Kingdom, but that's just me. And I know other people think differently. But now now if you and I are chilling and you're like, yo, I'm gonna pop on this Shingo Tanahashi again. You're not going to get a complaint out of me. Yeah. And <laughs> like, again, I'm be like, all right, fucking fire it up. Let's do it. And again, you, you gave it four and a half, which is an, an excellent rating. So, yeah, I thought this match was was incredible. I just people were acting like it was the second coming, like it was the best match, you know, in history. And I I just don't see it that way. But I thought the match was awesome. Just yeah. really, 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 really awesome. Yeah. From top to bottom, I just really enjoyed the show. I just felt really energized and excited about New Japan after watching this whole show and watching this main event. Well, I mean, it's not even just that. I mean, the you know, the stuff with Mox and, and Kenta, even though it's pre-taped, I mean, you know, that's very exciting. And then, you know, the very next day, new beginning, and, you know, these two matches back-to-back at the top of the card. I mean, this was a really great show. So, I mean, uh, very exciting. And I would like to uh, take my victory lap now where I told you guys why Tanahashi was going to win. And he did that. And I think it was perfectly lined up with all the reasons that I explained that I thought he was going to win it. But there was something that happened after this match that also lines up with exactly what I was thinking was that I think Tanahashi is going to, I don't know if I said it on the air last week, but my thinking was Tanahashi was going to be a transitional champion i'm pretty sure i said it on the i, I think you week. did yeah you think it wasn't gonna be a lot it was gonna be like he's gonna drop it to somebody uh, i said i well i pretty much said that it was going to be similar to when he won the belt from kenny was that it was basically so he could drop it to some other heel and i didn't have this individual in mind specifically but i felt like i actually kind of was thinking like maybe a jeff cobb or something like that but uh yeah, New Japan definitely has plans in place, and I don't think Tanahashi has never championed as uh, long for this world. We got questions about it, too. Yeah, so uh, real quick. So, yeah, the post-match, Tanahashi is playing the air guitar with the Never title. Then he's attacked by the great Okan. Okan lays him out with the Eliminator, holds the belt up over a prone Tanahashi. So, clearly, uh, we're going to get a rematch of Tanahashi versus Okan for the Never title. I'm going to guess it's going to happen at a castle attack. Uh, so big plans there for a big rematch there. Um, so first question we had here from Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? So it's been more than three years since Sanahashi's had a successful defense with any championship. Will that unfortunate fate come with this never title run? Has he not even defended any tag titles successfully? I wonder. Um... Well, because him and Abushi didn't have a successful defense, did they? Um, I think there's a good chance that they might not have. I think they lost the Techers the first time and then lost the rematch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like looking through the titles that he's held. 
Yeah, he won the Rev Pro title from Zach, and he lost it right back to Zach. Last time he had the IWGP title in 2019, he dropped it to uh, um, to Jay White immediately. Um, wow, when last time when he was the six man champions in 2017, they dropped that right away. I think we got to go back to 2018 for the, his IC title run. Mm. 2017, 2018 was the last time that he successfully defended the belt. The last, the last successful title defense Tanahashi had of any title was January 4th, 2018, when he defended the I the Intercontinental Championship against the returning Jay White. Wow. Since then, every time he's won, he's won multiple championships, but he's dropped them all quickly after that. So yeah, that's a great stat. That's a 2019, 2021. Wow. Yeah, three years. Yeah, so I think he is going to get a similar fate here. I think Ocon is going to get the win back and, and get the never title and kind of, you know, be the first big milestone for Ocon. Yeah, I think it's it's very clear they're, they've got uh, intentions for Ocon to come in and decimate him. Um, I mean, look, could he beat? Ocon, sure, but I feel like the story. I mean, Ocon took a clean loss to Tanahashi, took a clean loss to Okada. He came in, he did his jobs, but you know, the whole thing is I, I think it would be a bad look for Ocon to, after attacking Tanahashi like this, to eat back to back losses to the guy, especially with the title on the line. Um, you know, if, if this was Ocon and him in, say, the G1 later this year or something then I might lean towards Tanahashi, but because it's happening so quickly after their Wrestle Kingdom match and it, and it has, and it's for the never title. I think that this was all orchestrated particularly to try and get great Okan over and to kind of make him a star. So yeah, um, I think it makes all the sense in the world that that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I know people asking, you know, how are they going to get the United empire heat back and get him back over. This is how, this is the start here. We just had this great Tenkoji feud, and now they're set the stage, and Ocon's going to get a big win here with Never Title, then Osprey's going to win something big. Well, I can tell you right now, uh, with Osprey, I don't know exactly what's next for, next for him, but at some point, he's coming for that w, He's coming to get that W back from uh, Okada Playboy, so you know, <laughs> that shit's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Rambone Slam Pig. Says, what kind of challengers do you see lining up for our never champion? Will we see some unlikely matchups with juniors or leaning more into the Hoss offs? Uh, I see the challenge, the type of challengers that cut their own hair uh, by themselves, like literally in, you know, <laughs> the dojo guys like that guys that have bang um, mouthpieces. Fang mouthpieces. They wear question mark uh, sheets over their face. They've got a really long piece of weave um, <laughs> in their hair. Got that uh, Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi weave. My, yeah, my girlfriend. We were watching this weekend. She's like, "Is that his? Is that his actual hair?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "At no point has Oka ever had hair all the way down to his middle back that he just been growing out for all these years. Like that should never, like it's clearly like he's got weave in his hair. Um, so yeah, 
Yeah. I think that's the kind of I think that's the only kind of challenger that we got coming up for our never champion. <laughs> yeah, I mean the only other way we get uh, another matchup is if they happen to do a somehow do a quick defense on the road to Castle Attack before they do the actual big matchup with him and Okan, which I highly doubt they're going to do. The only way I see it happening is if something happens to Okan, like he gets injured and they have to, you know, audible quickly. Other than that, Tanahashi's coming off this shit. Yeah. Can you imagine? Are we seeing? Are we going to see horses, or you think like Despy's got a chance? <laughs> <laughs> Tanahashi show like. Nah, unfortunately, Rambo and Slam pick that's they're they're not going that way. I don't think. Yeah, I mean that that would have been cool though to get like Tana versus some juniors or you know Tana Watto. Yeah. <laughs> uh, every, bro, every single time, every single time Oka comes out and like he just looks like a star and he looks cool and menacing. My girlfriend goes, "Compare this guy to Watto." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Uh, next question here from Reddit user PSAN91 says, My friend was lucky enough to be at New Beginning in Nagoya and said the atmosphere was great, even with some empty seats toward the top. He also said that people were disappointed when Okan came out to break up the Tanahashi Loveathon. My question is, do you think getting the belt off of Shingo is a way to elevate Shingo to the main event scene? I was thinking he could have a match for the double titles at one of the upcoming Castle Attack shows. Also, do you think Tana is a transitional champion so they can just go get the belt to Okan to establish himself and the United Empire? Uh, yep, I, I agree on the Tanahashi point. I also think that this could be a way for them to elevate Shingo. I personally, I, I don't see them as investing in Shingo as an actual IWGP champion anytime soon, although I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But I could see this being a way for them to establish him as a challenger. And you might be asking yourself, well, didn't he just lose to Tanahashi? Well, we see people fail up <laughs> in this company all the time. You know, we, we've seen it with Shibata. We've seen it with, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura. We've seen it with lots of guys where they drop a belt so that they can be freed up to go challenge for another title. Right. Um, and- Kenny Omega. Happens all the time, so... And on the road to show, I forget if it was today's or yesterday's, Ibushi was holding the double titles up in front of Shingo's face, walking to the back. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think Shingo would be a bad challenger at maybe, say, Castle Attack, especially if you want to, you know, pop a, pop a house, draw a good crowd, and, and do something fun and exciting. I just don't see him as... I do see that this being as a way to maybe elevate him a little bit higher, but um, I still kind of see Shingo right now in that upper mid level around the same areas like say Suzuki Sonata that sort of level yeah but yeah I mean definitely we could see some good things for Shingo coming up here with him not being the never champion or I mean we could see eventually he could have Shingo versus Okan for the never title and he can just kind of be the, the main never guy that gets uh, challenges and gets the belt back who knows I, I'm waiting for uh, them to call in the big guns Tomohiro Ishii so he can uh you know, have this five-star banger with Okan and, you know, people can shut their mouths about about how good Oka... Oh, no, you know what they'll say is they'll like... Oh, all any, Ishii, yeah. Anybody can have a good match with Ishii. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be all in Ishii, yeah. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Morbid Suplex. How would you compare the Tana Shingo match over both men's classics over the years? 
in a lot of ways, that match actually reminded me quite a bit of Tanahashi and Shibata. Not necessarily in tone or, you know, build, but in the actual layout of the match, there was a lot of similarities to the to the actual like layout of how they worked the match. And, you know, that's a match that people really love and go five stars. I'm not nearly five stars on the Shiba- on the, on the big famous Shibata Tanahashi match, if that tells you anything. Mm. Um, but I think it's similar to that. But, you know, I mean, that's the thing is like I can't in good conscience give that match five stars when, you know, there's Tanahashi and Omega the Tanahashi Okada series is, you know, um, those stick out, I guess, in my, you know, him and I even think him and Naito from G1 this past year, I probably consider that to be a better match as well. So that's kind of the parameters I'm working with. And then like with Shingo, I mean, bro, Shingo Mochizuki, like <laughs> Shingo Osprey, those are like the two that stick out to me as being like the big ones. Um, I, I, there, I know there's some other ones. I think Kim and Yoji Hino, stuff like that. So, yeah. but I mean, it's up there for sure. It's 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 way up there. But like, I like, I even like his uh, his first match from the G1 with Ishii. I I don't even have that as a five star match, and I think that match is better than this one. So that might kind of tell you why. Like, I'm judging it and giving it that four and a half. Yeah, I, I think a big part of it for me is just like watching the matches and builds in the moment. Because like I, I missed like in the moment a lot of the Tanahashi Okada stuff earlier on, some of Tanahashi's big matches early in the early 2000s, uh, and I came in towards the later end. And so yeah, I've rewatched those matches, but I didn't you know get the build or get the you know be unspoiled or get the hype going in. And like for this Tanahashi Shingo match, like I watched the build, I was watching it in real time, watching it unspoiled and just kind of like laid out differently. And a lot of these other, you know, Shingo Osprey, I watched that unfold, and some of the, you know, Tanahashi Omega. So a lot of these more recent matches, I've been able to watch a build in the story, and so those might mean a little bit more to me personally than maybe some of the the older like Tanahashi Okada classics. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, next question, uh, two questions here from Reddit user Viking Pain. First, he says, "Where would you rank Tanahashi?" in the GOAT category, and are we being worked by this man? Is his knees really messed up at all, and did you? And did he really tear his bicep? Is this man the ultimate grifter? <laughs> uh, well, I've seen interviews where he's shown the, the permanent divots in his arms from where his muscles atrophied and um, separated because he opted not to get the uh, necessary surgeries and decided to work on, you know, torn biceps instead of, you know, taking time off to get the, uh, you know, the, the injuries fixed. So, uh, he definitely has torn biceps and I'm pretty sure after all these years, his knees are actually messed up, especially considering, um, I mean, just look at, he just, sometimes Tanahashi moves terrible in the ring. Sometimes like, and sometimes he is, every bit as good as he's ever needed to be. Like when, when it's time to turn on, he can turn on. It's very reminiscent of the later stage of Kijimuto's career, which makes a lot of sense. So I don't think he's, I don't think any of that's a grift at all. Now, you know, do I think that they play it up? Uh, do I think that they, you know, sell it more and milk it for, you know, for, you know, 
their ability to like add drama and intrigue. Yeah, I definitely think they do that. But um, there's no doubt that that man's hurt and and probably will be the rest of his life. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, after years of doing high fly floor, high fly flows to the floor, and sometimes even missing those, like that has to take a toll on the body. But like you're saying, yeah, they definitely overemphasize the knees and obviously we saw the whole thing with, with Jay White took him out with the Tanahashi tap out and he was gone for like a month or so and I mean there are some injuries that they they kind of just made up and that there are some that are real. Well the funny thing is like they used to play it up a lot worse before and now I think they've kind of gotten away from like playing that up and now they're just kind of playing more on the age aspect, you know when in reality he's probably more banged up now than he ever has been. I mean, that would make sense logically just because, you know, time is undefeated. Uh, as far as GOAT category, I think Tanahashi is every bit as good as Kenta Kobashi, as Ric Flair, as Bret Hart, as Luthes, <laughs> as Kazushka Okada, as Mitsuhara Mizawa, I think that when you talk about the greatest, I don't think you can have a credible conversation about the greatest of all time wrestlers without mentioning, and not even just mentioning, but also seriously contemplating Hiroshi Tanahashi. I think there's probably a case to be made that he might be the greatest wrestler I've ever seen in my lifetime live. Yeah, he, he's definitely up there. Um, yeah, it's, it's either him or Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Ishii, yeah. That man needs, you know, get his role thrown at him. Yeah, man, <laughs> Tom is just an incredible performer. And, you know, 30 years from now, we'll be telling our grandkids and our great-grandkids about how good Tanahashi is, so... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I he's incredible. Uh, and Viking fan second question He says we all know Shingo is awesome And honestly one of the best wrestlers in the world Do you think he will ever hold the IWGP Heavyweight title Or will his age and status of being an outsider From Dragon Gate hurt his chances It's really hard to say I mean uh, we're not the bookers So I don't know for instance uh, could I, Would I put it in the realm of Impossible things that can never happen No No not at all I think it's definitely something that could happen But would I put it in a category of it being a likelihood, I would also say no. I, I don't think it's likely that he holds that belt. Um, and I think th- those two things do play a role into it, although I, I, I wouldn't even say I'd put all of it into that. It's just um, it, they're a very cautious company. They slot people in certain particular usages and roles. And it takes a very long time to kind of overcome that. And I just... I don't even think that they're necessarily biased against him based on his age. I just don't know that they're going to have enough time to invest in him to make it worth their while when it's all said and done. So um, I, I think he could definitely be the IWGB champion at some point. Um, but whether they you know, decide to give him the ball to run is another thing. Yeah, and I just feel just based on how he's been booked so far – I think they see him in an Ishii role, maybe a little bit higher than Ishii, because I think he does win some more big matches than Ishii, but kind of that Ishii role where they're an upper mid-carder that's, uh, that are phenomenal in-ring performers, but they're just never going to get the IWGP title. 
I see him as like the new Goto, to be honest with you. Maybe a little bit higher than that. I think that that, to me, because I mean, Ishii languished for years and years and years when he first came in. And, you know, Shingo came in with the undefeated streak. I, I definitely think they see value in him. I don't think that they're going to, uh, you know, just mistreat him or, or anything like that. I think they see money in him. I just, I don't know if they see him as being the guy. Right. You I, know, he will definitely be a challenger for the title, but I I, I can't 100% say, yeah, he's definitely going to be the champ one day. Awesome. Um, two questions here from Reddit user Dom Homie 101. First, he says, "Is it me, or does it feel like Shingo versus Tanahashi would have been ten times better if it took place in front of a pre-COVID crowd? It was still a fantastic match, but COVID nineteen is a motherfucker." I uh, totally agree. I think that they that match would have been in probably for me received better if it was in front of a crowd. I also think, given how awesome that match is, I think that they've got a better match inside of them. To be honest with you, too. Yeah, I mean, any of these great matches we've had so far would be better in a, you know, a full packed arena. So yeah, this match definitely would have been even better uh with a packed house. Um his second question, what's next for the United Empire after the victories last Saturday? Can the great Okan throw on Tanahashi? Where does Osprey go from here and and will we and when and when will a Jeff Cobb appearance? When will we see a Jeff Cobb appearance in the near future? Yeah, um just so everybody knows, uh, Jeremy's not incompetent at reading. I think he had to fill in a, a couple blanks with some of the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I copy. Some... I copy and paste them exactly how you guys type them. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Jeremy's like, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I'll make it simple. I think, you know, I, not to dig too deep in this moment, but I think Okan is going to be the next Never Champion. I think. Uh, Will Osprey is a likely front runner for New Japan Cup. If not, I see him being someone that's going to be in the top mix uh, and probably chasing down, like, say, Okada this year, um, trying to get that victory back. And then as far as Jeff Cobb, I see him playing a prominent role here, uh, at least in the uh, immediate sense on New Japan Strong, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we see something between him and Kenta go down again, uh, something along those lines. Yeah, I think Cobb can be a guy you put that U.S. title on, a guy that can actually work U.S. shows and work Japan shows, and actually a guy that can kind of go back and forth and kind of be the face, quote-unquote, of the, of the U.S. side of things. And then I totally agree with you on Osprey, and then, yeah, we, we're both in agreement of Okan and that Never title. Nice. Well, uh, this coming week, we or this past week, we also had uh, a couple Road to New Beginning shows, and some big news came out of those. Let's uh, do a quick rundown on both of those. Yeah, so we had shows uh, February 1st and 2nd. On the 1st, opened up with Yota Sushi defeating a returning Gabriel Kidd. And we had uh, the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito defeating Ibushi, Wato, Sho, and Tomi Okahanama 15-14. In the third match of the night, we had Okada, Ishii, and Yano defeating the Bull Club team of Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro Takahashi. But we had some big news here after this matchup. Chaos thought everything was sweet. They were celebrating. But we got the return of Switchblade Jay White. Still a heel. Still a part of Bull Club. Targeting Tomohiro Ishii. Taking him out. Laying him out with a Blade Runner. Letting him know that 
He's here. It's still his era, and he's part of the real Bullet Club. You know, it's nice when you have, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but, like, if you bought, you know, a piece of clothing that is very specific to a to a certain event or, you know, place, like, you know, like a nice suit for church or something like that or, like, something for a sports team or whatever, you know, and then something happens, maybe a life change, and you can't wear whatever that is. Maybe it was for a job. And you don't have that job anymore. So now you, you spend all this money and you're kind of out, you know, on whatever that apparel was, you know, that, that you, you kind of forked out the cash for. And, you, and you're like, now where am I going to wear this? Well, I feel like that's what Gato has been feeling like. Got- <laughs> that's why he's been <laughs> he's, so dejected on these tours. <laughs> yeah, he's been so dejected because he's like, I just got this new fucking, you know, <laughs> switchblade, you know jacket this members only jacket and uh, vinyl what, what what are those called like those vinyl like bomber jacket kind of thing yeah, yeah i just got this this sick ass you know jay white bomber jacket and i can't even wear that shit anymore and then soon, and then jay came back and he's like jay <laughs> but yeah. it's funny you know um jay white returns he attacks tom here he lays him out cuts a little promo and lets everybody know that his era is not over and um Kudos to the company. I mean, God, these guys, they they were working people so hard. They had posters with him on it for New Beginning Tour. Then they replaced those posters with posters that did not have him on it. Then they took his profile down from the website. They put disclaimers on the website concerning his status with the company. And then they went as far as to go into the janky-ass trading card game and disable his fucking cards. Yeah, I made them sold out because guys like Lance Archer, like those cards are sold out and people, <laughs> people who have left the company, they do like sell those cards out and you can't get those guys anymore. So yeah, they sold just, out, it's temporarily sold out his cards. Yeah, they just need to let y'all know like, oh, this shit's not a work, except it was a work. It was meta as fuck. Right. Uh, and I think we one, can take a victory, oh, I think we can take a victory lap because there are so many people that were speculating and trying to figure out if it was work or not. And day one, we're like, this is the work. Uh, you know what? I, I did do all that, but let me just tell you this. So I'm watching the Royal rumble and it's getting deep. It's like 25 deep. And suddenly I was just like, like I kind of laughed. Cause I, I was like, you know, people thought Jay white was going to show up here. And then I sat there for a second. And then I said, you know, what if he actually does? <laughs> <laughs> And I got nervous. Oh, man. I got nervous. It's and then and then instead Seth Rollins came out and I was like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, it's like then he's like, We want Switchblade and Vince is like, no, nah, we got Switch Switchblade at home. <laughs> and Seth Rollins came out. Uh, yeah, but um one funny thing, you know, with that emotional promo that Jamie cut, not Jay, Jamie, you know. People were speculating about, you know, his personal growth and development and what was going to be going on with him and everything like that. And then um, instead, like, you know, was this going to be the beginning of his face turn and his, you know, reemergence? Like, nah, this dude's the same guy. Like, <laughs> right. And I, out. I know a lot of people like heard that pair more. I'm like, yeah, that was a great like baby face promo. Like, I'm definitely behind Jay White now. I'm like, I don't know. To me. It sounded like a, like a crybaby promo. Like, 
it, it reminded me of like Christian in like the early 2000s when he could do like that, like the cryberry tantrum after every time he lost a match. Like it came off like very like a whiny, like entitled heel to me versus, you know, this, you know, redemptive babyface. No, I completely got redemptive babyface uh, vibes from that promo in particular. Although I could see why you might be feeling, you know, potentially that this was like an entitled thing. So I think, I think, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of both of that in there to be honest with you, but you know, that's not to say that there isn't still a story to be told, you know, with the changing of his character. Cause we've seen in this company many times where someone will give a brief allusion to something. And then we, we don't see the payoff for whatever that little, you know, wink wink nudge nudge was for years you know or months or what have you so that might be something we kind of point back to and but you know it seems for now he's back with the bullet club he's still you know the leader the real bullet club well they are the real bullet club (laughs) i mean there there is not another bullet club just you know i mean there's a bunch of dudes who are working together in another company that used to be in the bullet club. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had some questions here about Jay White's return. First from Reddit user, just a little bear zero one. Do you think the timing of Jay White's return was specifically planned as a troll job on people thinking he would jump to the B? Uh, I wouldn't call it a troll job, but I think that that was clearly what they were trying to, um, you know, um, allude to. There, there was some sort of mentions of WWE. Am I not right in that? Oh, I know what it was. The leaks that got, that went out went out specifically to like to Jcast, and they were the ones who, you know, basically said that that the report was that WWE was making a heavy play for him, correct? Right, and then like a, lot, a bunch of other wrestling sites picked that up and were like, yeah, WWE has interests in Jay White. Was there anything else with the company where anyone hinted at WWE other than that one incident? Uh, I think that was... I, don't, I, can't, I can't remember if in his promo if he said that or not. In his promo, he just said, he said something like, maybe I should go, I need to go somewhere else, he said. Right. So I'll see that well, left the door open to p- for people to speculate that to be AEW. Well, here's the thing. Well, a couple things. Um, if people thought that he was going to be going to AEW, I think this would have had the reverse effect of what it was intended to do. And the intention was, you know, to get a certain section of the fan base to rally for Jay White to stay and not only just rally, but also really speculate and ponder. And I feel like if the speculation would be about him going to AEW, then it's a totally different kind of thing. Then, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are pushing for it and hoping for it. And then when it doesn't happen, they're disappointed, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas if the idea is he might go to WWE, (laughs) there you know, there's nothing that pro elitists hate more than that idea. They would, you know, that's like the worst possible outcome. Right. So I, that kind of like unites everybody so that they all were like, 
you know, whatever happens one way or the other, I hope this guy doesn't go to WWE. You know, I hate to be that guy. Part of me does wonder if a possibly the J cast guys are workers that were in on, you know, spreading the story so that the WWE was the particular like aim for, for this like story that they told. Or if they weren't part of it, um, in particular, maybe they were worked by the company. Like someone in the company said, "Oh, well, you know, it's because they, you know, because I do think that the company needed WWE to be the the alternative and not like say AEW." Right. Know? Yeah. And we've heard story. I mean, that wouldn't be the first time that a company or workers gave information to to members of the media or press. I mean, that used to happen to Dave. All the time. <laughs> all the time. You know, guys guys would spread stories about themselves as tips to the observers so that they could, you know, work the office, work the boys, things like that. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm not even like – but I'm – you know, I got my conspiracy theorist hat and I'm just like, you know, the company never said WWE. The only, the only way we really heard that is from Jcast and – They've been an extremely reliable source in the past. Now, the one thing they did get right, and this was fucking funny. So, you know, we speculated on this um, show about the seven-year deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went as far as to say, you know, every every news site pretty much said he was signed for seven years based off of what Dave had said, who's also extremely reliable. But the JCast guys pretty much said, no, that's not true based on what they were hearing. Well, this week <laughs> – after Jay White came back, someone was chatting with uh, Dave Meltzer online, and you know Dave said, "Oh well, he signed a seven-year deal back in blah blah blah," and <laughs> Jay White responded, and he just put cap, but <laughs> the uh, the blue cap emoji, <laughs> and like, bro, so many people didn't know what it meant, what he was talking about, what was going on, and I saw like, I saw a lot of people being like. Like you could tell that they just learned what it was too, because they're like, "Well, apparently, Cap. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, a cap is when someone is untruthful or, or you know, tells a lie, <laughs> and, and he put a baseball cap up to signify that." So I think what he's saying is that Dave's not correct. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, hats off to those Jcast guys. Apparently. Apparently he's not signed for seven years, which, you know, uh, kind of does make sense. Cause, you know, I, I, the company hasn't been known in the past to sign guys to long-term deals anyways. Right. I mean, we've just now started getting people for two-year contracts. Right. And then Abushi's yeah. whatever lifetime contract deal that is. <laughs> well, you know, his deal is supposed to be up in, in the next couple months too. Yeah. You know, even though he's signed to a quote-unquote lifetime deal, I mean – Fightful.com, who typically are very accurate on their contract, you know, term, you know, time limits. They've got him listed as like his contract coming up very shortly. So, um, hard to say on that, but you know, we kind of went around in circles. The point I was getting at was the, this company did an incredible job making everyone believe that Jay might be going to WWE and, the, the timing of it makes sense because historically 
most people's contracts have been up in January. And, you know, we saw what happened back in 2015, 2016, when AJ Styles left and showed up in the Rumble. So I think the reason he showed up the day after the Rumble is to let everybody know, like, nah, he's not fucking going anywhere. And I think it was kind of smart because it's like they picked the the exact correct time to make him be the focal point for about a month. And then as soon as the Rumble's over, well, where's Jay? Oh, he's right here, motherfucker. Come, <laughs> come watch what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it was done. It was beautifully done. Um, and yeah, just playing off the mass exodus that we normally see in January, especially with Bullet Club guys. I mean, we had the, a real big mass exodus in uh, 2019, uh, also the elite leaving. Um, so yeah, it played in perfectly. And waiting until after the Rumble for him to come back was all, it's all done well. Yeah. Uh, we had a question from EMJ does PR in the Discord. He says, "I was expecting Jay to return in a more dot 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 spectacular fashion." Thought on the timing? Why now? Why this particular show? That is something. I mean, you you know, I think we'll have to wait and see. There could be something to that. I mean, you know, I think uh, some people might be let down with him coming back on a new beginning road to show as opposed to some other big moment where more eyes are on him sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, him, him attacking Ishii makes all the sense in the world when it comes to the kayfabe stories they've been telling and the setup that they had. But it also isn't necessarily like the most earth shattering feud or, you know, it's not the biggest deal that's out there. I'm, you know, for, for people that are diehard fans of the product, they're going to get a treat out of it. But, you know, it wasn't like uh, him coming in and attacking evil or some shit right. like that, you know? So there is something to wonder there. And I mean, you know, only time will tell. Maybe they still have a story that they're planning to tell down the road. And this is just the first part of it. And, you know, we're going to look back and say that was awesome. Or th- we might look back and say, you know, they, there was a missed opportunity. They could have made, done something a little more memorable and impactful with Jay's return. Um, but I'm thinking that it was all a timing thing that they simply utilized the, the Royal Rumble speculation and the WWE speculation to get his name out there, make him the hottest thing in, in wrestling for a couple weeks. And then as soon as the Royal Rumble's over, well, where's Jay white? He's right here. Boom. Right. Yeah. And personally to me, I kind of like that it happened on a road to show. Because it just makes those Road 2 shows feel special and let people know, like, anything can happen on a Road 2 show. You know, people kinda... I was going to make that WWE anything can happen joke, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, anything the house can show. happen in the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, <laughs> I, but, yeah, you got to it first. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like, you know, a lot of people, even some of the, the most diehard New Japan fans, see a Road 2 show. They look at the card and, like, these three Road 2 shows are all the same. I don't have, there's not a sense of urgency for me to watch this live or to watch it as soon as I can. I'll either watch it later or don't watch it at all. And so with Jay White coming back and doing this big angle here, it just adds some importance to the Road 2 show and to why you need to, to pay attention to the to these Road 2 shows. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and a similar question here from Dom Homie 101. Thoughts on Jay White returning to New Japan? Do you guys think they should have done it in his return at a bigger show? Or was it actually, or was 
or was it his actual return fine? Kind of spoke on this. Um, you know, I don't. I I actually don't have anything extra to add to this. I'm just uh, excited to see what's going to happen going forward. Um, the one thing I will say though is, you know, obviously Ishii, a guy that um, Jay White has never beaten in one-on-one action ever, and he lost. Wh- where were they at the uh, G1? Was that Budokan? Yes, Budokan Hall. Yeah, main yeah, event. He lost. He lost in the main event at Budokan Hall on the final night of the A block, uh, which knocked him out of winning the G1. So, I mean, that was a huge deal. And then, you know, his final night after Wrestle Kingdom, you know, at New Year's Dash, he was beaten in the multi-man to Ishii. And Ishii's been, you know, kind of talking about him a bit in the backstage segments um, in a somewhat encouraging manner like he wants to fight him but also in a somewhat dismissive manner so you know it it makes sense that not only is he back but he's back better than ever and his target is Ishii right I think that's going to be one of the big matches for Castle Attack Castle uh, Castle Attack the two night show Osaka Joe Hall I think they're going to build for one of the nights for that Jay White Ishii match yeah, I mean, there's clearly a story there. If you're going to talk about Jay White doing some sort of rebuilding, well, what better way for him to rebuild than to try and get the Ishii monkey off of his back? The one guy, you know, the one guy he's never been able to get a win over. Well, he he, he needs to kind of overcome him before he can even hope to think about taking steps forward to be the man in New Japan again. Right. And then uh, the main event of this uh, Road 2 show, we had... A the Josh Smith special the elimination tag match. You know here. what? I, I I want us to stop calling it that. You know why? Because even though these matches are enjoyable, they're not they're not like the uh, the ten man tag eliminations from the eighties that I in particularly love. All right, we'll, we'll drop that gimmick. the The regular uh, New Japan <laughs> elimination match. They, they they can be the Josh Smith special again once they start working them <laughs> like like the way they used to. <laughs> uh, so we had Bullet Club here, ELP, Jado, Ishimori, and God defeating Suzuki Goon, Doki, Desperado, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Zack Saber Jr. Twenty four minutes one second. Then we move on to what, yeah, comment on that. Uh, funny spot ELP. Falling on the outside, oh, and yeah. trying to do the <laughs> the bullshit Royal Rumble spot where he uh, has his feet up on the apron and he, mm-hmm. he's trying to tell Red Shoes like my feet never touch, but Red Shoes like dog, your whole body's on the ground. Yeah, like... <laughs> you're out. <laughs> that was funny. So, apparently, the the Shawn Michaels two foot roll does not uh, apply it, in Cork and Hall. Yeah, that was funny, especially right after the Royal Rumble. We saw a bunch of those. You know, my whole body's outside, but yeah, my my tippy toes are still hanging off the rope, so I'm still in. So that yeah, that was great by ELP, dude. ELP's been awesome. He was also we forgot to fail to mention he was on commentary, uh, New Beginning in Nagoya for the whole show since he wasn't on the card, and he did it's a great job with a lot of his just one liners and his comedy and just some of the stuff he was saying. I think he's very good with the one liners. Um, I think that he's got quite a bit of ways to go when it comes to playing off Kevin Kelly or a play-by-play guy in the right way. But I mean, that's not to say that he's not good at it. He's definitely, he's very naturally good at it, but he's not quite as polished as say like Gino, 
But remember, Gino was like I wouldn't even say struggled, but Gino he reminds me of Gino in a way where Gino was also very naturally good, but it took a while for him to like oh you know over the past few months we've been listening to Gino and it's like holy shit like he's on a different level and so right now I would say like ELP is a really good wrestler character who's doing a really good job at, at like playing an entertaining heel character doing color mm-hmm. but I I wouldn't classify him as like a really good color guy just yet but the the potential's there if he keeps doing it he's going to be really really good at it i just think it's it, it takes a little bit more producing and getting a little bit more reps but i mean yeah he he has so much of chris jericho and him on the mic it's not even funny yeah that's that, that's canadian blood running through him he sounds like him like the way they talk like they both talk like winnipeg guys yeah so we move on to the Road to show that happened this morning, February 2nd. Uh, Gabriel Kidd gets the win back on Yota Suji. Then we have ELP and Taiji Ishimori defeating and returning Risuke Taguchi and Yuyomura. Then in the third matchup, we had Kota Ibushi, Wato, Sho, and Hanma defeating the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. Then in the main event, we had another elimination match with Bullet Club, Jay White, Evil, G.O.D., and Yujiro, defeating the Chaos team of Goto, Okada, Ishii, Yano, and Yoshihashi. It came down to three-on-one, Jay White and G.O.D. against Yoshihashi. Uh, They had a gun stun on Yoshihashi. Jay pulled Yoshihashi up. Uh, Then... Tangelo hits the ape shit on Yoshihashi. Jay pulls him up. God. After two. Um, and then um, he hits the sleeper suplex and he's getting ready to do a blade runner. Goto's like, stop, stop. He's already dead and throws a towel in. Um, so, Bull Club wins. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I haven't seen today's show yet. So, that sound, I was working pretty much literally up until we uh, started recording. But that sounds awesome. Yeah, so yeah, Gojo throws a white towel in. They have to call the forfeit. And then uh, post-match, uh, Chaos tries to run in and make the save. They beat down Chaos. because um, Well, Evil and Okado had brought to the back, so Okado was gone, and they beat down the rest of Chaos. And then uh, Jay White, they grabbed the Never titles, and Jay grabbed the mic and essentially issued the challenge, saying that Jay White and G.O.D. are going to challenge for the Never six-man titles. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that... Um that will probably be like, you know, one of those road to shows on the way to like castle attack or something like that. Or maybe even, is there any chance that that makes it onto one of these new beginning shows that are coming up? I feel like the cards are kind of locked in stone. Cause they have been doing these shorter four or five match cards. Um, cause okay. there's, there's I, just- I just didn't know if they had announced those shows entirely. So then it'll probably, that would probably be something that takes place on the road to Castle Tech. I mean, they, they could always change it because, I mean, Jay White was not supposed to be on the card for t- today's show, and they changed the, they changed the card. So, cards simply oh, okay. change. They could always update the, the Hiroshima cards. There's two nights. They could always do it on one of those or save it to Road to Castle Attack. You have them win the, win the titles, and that, that builds to the Jay Ishii one-on-one match that could happen at, at one of the Castle Attack nights. Yeah, whatever uh, you say. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, had a question uh, from Kevin Crawford. It says, any chance Jay White and G.O.D. lose in their challenge for the Never Six Man titles? Is Gato too much of a coward to book the switchblade getting rolled up by Yoshihashi? I don't see Yoshihashi rolling up switchblade necessarily. Although, 
you know, it's the never six man tag titles. Anything could happen. Um, I don't know. I mean, that that one's kind of a, a toss up. Uh, but I mean, God having the gold and then having the never six mans again. I mean, they've done that in the past, and it. it you know, did a lot for them at the time. I, I don't see why you couldn't do that again, especially if hypothetically they're getting ready to drop the belts to Techers anyways. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a likelihood that the more I'm thinking about it here live on the air, uh, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, I mean, th- definitely a potential of them losing, especially if you want to build a fuel, fuel for Jay, really wanting to go after Ishii. Or they can win it. I think it just really depends on when the match happens. Um, I, I it, to me, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. Because I mean, the, on the one hand, I'm like, well, you could have them win the titles, but then at the same time, you're like, well, if they didn't win the titles, it's not that. Either way, it's the never six man titles. They just don't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it. It's not make or break either way. Right. <laughs> Uh, then a question from Muzza. He says, do you think White and G.O.D. versus Yoshihashi Goto and Ishii for the six-man tag belts will be at Castle Attack, leading to a White versus Ishii singles match at New Japan Cup, or at Road to Castle Attack and lead to a singles match at Castle Attack? Uh, I would I would wager that it would be on the road to, and then uh, and then Ishii and Jay White on the main card, because aren't they running a big building for Castle Attack? Yeah, they're doing Osaka Joe Hall for both nights. Yeah, so I think they probably need they kind of need that hook. But um, if they weren't running Osaka Joe Hall, I I I wouldn't see why they couldn't do the six man on the show and then do an opening round with uh, Ishii and Jay White. I and you know what? I think we might even end up seeing Jay and uh, Ishii have almost an immediate rematch in the New Japan Cup right after their castle attack match. That sounds like the kind of booking Gato likes to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. First round. One of these guys is going to be uh, upset and get out in the first round. Yeah. But what I mean is, you know, we've seen it in the past where like someone will have a new beginning match and then like right away at new Japan cup, they have the rematch. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see what happens there. So we do have two more road to shows coming up before we get to Hiroshima Next week, so tomorrow, February 3rd, we got Gabriel Kidd and Gucci versus Suji and Yamura. Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro versus Okada, Ishii, and Yano. Doki, Despi, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. versus ELP, Jado, Taiji, Tamatanga, and Tangaloa. Sho and Hanma versus Hiromu and Naito. And the main event of Abushi and Wato versus Abushi uh, and Sonata. And then on the 8th, we have Gabriel Kidd, Taguchi, and Yumura versus Despi, Suzuki, and Kanemaru. Then we have Goto, Okado, and Yano versus Togo, Evil, and Yujiro. Then we have Doki, Taichi, and Saber versus Jado and G.O.D. Semi-main event, Wato, Hanma versus Bushi, and Naito. And the main event, Ibushi, and Sho versus Hiromu, and Sonata. Nice. That, that sounds like good stuff. <laughs> And then we just have a few quick uh, news items to cover here before we get to some other questions and the recommended match of the week. Uh, so first thing, uh, we've been seeing some beef between the Elite and the Bullet Club. Um, clearly, like we mentioned, um, you know, obviously Gar- Gals and Anderson have been doing this whole angle with Kenny and the Bucks at AEW. They've been using the two suites and, you know, 
pretty much calling himself Bullet Club on air. Kenny wore the Bullet Club shirt at Hard to Kill. Have uh, they been calling themselves the Bullet Club though? Uh, I I remember the one reference where he said like get the old Bullet Club back together or something like that, mm-hmm. but I I didn't know if they'd been referencing them other than that. Well, there was a Mox promo where Mox was like, "There's issues with the Bullet Club, um, who's with who, and blah blah blah, something like that." He said, "Gotcha." And there's been other times where they've on commentary where they've said the words Bullet Club in, in, in referencing referencing these guys. Uh, Bro, I like I like that shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know why? Because it reminds me of like Fire Pro. There used to be these like Fire Pro um, story modes. Oh God. N- a lot of the games don't have story modes, but there was one from like around 97, 98. I don't remember which one it was, but like you would have like cross promotional shit. This is like around the time of like DX, NWO, stuff like that. And like there would be storylines with like NWO in WCW as well as like New Japan. And you could like go to like, and it was great. It was an awesome career mode. You could go to like ECW, go to FMW, but like there'd be like allusions and discussions about when, when that was when the wrestling world was more open, you know? Right. And I like the idea of there being an openness where stuff like that can get discussed. Like that's kind of cool to me. Yeah. And so, you know, on, on being the elite today, um, opening segment with the bucks and, um, gals Anderson, they, uh, Nick Jack or Matt Jackson was like, you know, uh, the twenty twenty. We're not working with those guys. The twenty twenty one Bullet Club sucks. Um, and then there's been a whole a lot of back and forth on Twitter. The Bucks being like, you know, thanks to us, the Bullet Club shirt is back in the top selling uh, merch in Pro and T since we've been mentioning it, mentioning the Bullet Club, and obviously like God and Jay and Tam up and saying, you know, we're the real Bullet Club. These guys are there's a knockoff going off somewhere else, and it's kind of this back and forth of these guys acknowledging each other, acknowledging what each other are doing, and of course them calling, you know, Jay calling them the real Bullet Club, and all this stuff going back and forth. Um, so, I, I, I yeah, and I mean, we've been seeing that um, going back even before the split, even before you know the elite left the Bullet Club. I remember like when. Um, Nick and them started doing the one suite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like Tama like would be doing his ring entrances. He's like, I got a one suite for you. And he'd give like the middle finger. Yeah. And it, like, it was very clear that there was like tension within the group and like new Japan was not making a story out of it at the time. Like, you know, so, and I mean, even like, um, I remember Tamatanga that infamous match he had with Kenny Omega at the G1 years ago where like he's on the mic and he's like, man, fuck the motherfucking elite. What the fuck is that shit? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I'll say I don't think this is a, a planned angle as of right now. I think this is clearly both teams just kind of feeding off what, what what's happening. Could it lead to an eventual match or angle? Maybe. Um, I, I think that um, sometimes I think Tamatanga comes off as being very smart in sort of like siphoning off what some of the attention uh, for what is going on between like Kenny, the Bucks, and you know Guns and Gallows and all that sort of shit. But other times I feel like his shtick is a little bit played out, like they don't have another good comeback other than like, you're not the real, you're not the real guys. We're the real guys. We have the real shirt, but th- like, that's not enough. They need to be coming with some harder hitting shit. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> like come out and be like, 
y'all are some fucking pussies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if I see, like they need to be like, if I see you in the streets, I'm gonna beat your ass on God. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They need to like play it up. Like I'm gonna fuck you up if I ever see you. Like yeah. that, and, and like make it real because right now they're like, you know, it's cool. Sometimes like they come off, but like, bro, those elite guys they're better at marketing and they're better at being witty. And that's, you know, and this isn't coming from someone who even watches being the elite, but they've got jokes for days, you know, right? you know, you, you try to hit them and they, they roll with, they roll with the fucking punches. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they literally got their, sh- their shirts back over. Y- yeah. Like no, like, I mean, bull club shirts are always popular, but obviously since the elite left, like they weren't in the top 25, like they used to be. Then Kenny wears one on Hard to Kill, the Halloween shirt. It's a top seller, and then the regular Bullet Club shirts back in the hot, the top sellers. Bro, I I've always loved my Bullet Club shirt, but I've never really loved the Bullet Club. I just like it because it's a cool ass shirt. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, I feel less proud wearing it now than I used to. <laughs> Even though, like, and you know, I like the Bullet Club. It's cool, whatever. But like, you know, when it, when it felt like the cool ass group. <laughs> right. But like for me, I feel like the one thing those guys got uh, speaking of the book club, the one thing that they have is like they're tough guys and Tamatonga is a really good talker. Um, I feel like they need to like come out and be like, if I see you in the streets, I'm going to smack you in your face. You know, it doesn't like we could be at whole foods. And if I see you in the aisle, you're going to get a smack in the mouth. I'm going to fuck you up. Like, they need to be talking like that. I remember, like, in the 90s, Takata, when Takata was the UWFI champion, he came out and he said, all these pro wrestlers are fucking fake. I'm the only real (laughs) pro wrestler. I'm the real world champion. Yeah. And he challenged all the other world champions that were out there to come to UWFI and fight him. Obviously, well, actually, Vader did show up, and they drew huge money with it. But it's like, they're not going to really fight but if they ever could actually really fight, they could draw money with Tamatanga coming out here, cutting shoot promos and shit on them. And that would give him help him save face. Cause right now the stick that they're using him and Jay white and all them, it's really played out that like, it was cool the first time you said it, but you're running out of stuff. And these bull, these uh, elite guys, they're just going to eat your lunch because they're just going to keep doing funny, sticky, catchy things that that like you're not gonna be able to keep up with it you just gonna be like, oh these you know these slobs yada yada it's like no you need to you need to up the ante and be like <laughs> if i see them i'll fuck you up <laughs> yeah because i mean right what they're doing right now is like very like pro wrestling like it's very like like they're trying to work an angle like we're the real bull club like let's have a match kind of thing we're, we're, no, right. it needs to no. be like this is not an angle like you guys are disrespecting us like if, right. we, if we bump into each other in jacksonville it's oh, we're gonna run it in the streets. What what's uh what they need to do is they need to call them by their real names. <laughs> Nick Massey. <laughs> what are their names? Um, I don't know their real names. I don't what? know. Yeah, this this past week I was told that those guys were my heroes. <laughs> 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 Far from it. I don't even know their names. Oh, I think uh, Tyson Smith, right? Yeah, Tyson Smith, and then the Massey boys. Oh, that's right, Masseys. If I see Tyson and those motherfucking Massey boys in the streets, we're going to run it on God. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a game. This is not a wrestling match. I don't want to wrestle you. I don't want to wrestle you. You don't deserve 
to be in this company. You walked away from that. So if you try to if you try to use our fucking company name, I'm a I'm going to fuck you up. This is not a game. Like, you know, you can tell all your little bitch boys, like, they need to do, they need to cut promos like that, bro. Yeah. He's like, we're in the real Bullet Club. (laughs) Bro, because Tama's such a good promo cutter, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if if Tama Tonga told me that, like, if he sees those dudes, he's going to fuck them up, I would believe him. And I'd be like, oh. Then I would want it, and then they'd have to deliver on it, and it's never going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we had a question here from Reddit user Too Much Monkey Biz. Here's a spicy one that is sure to get some buzz with the recent events in the wrestling world. What do you think happens to the Bullet Club if instead of elevating Kenny, the role Bullet Club leader went to Tama? Oh, I mean, well, he wasn't ready, or <sighs> I I'm a big fan of Tamatanga, but I don't I just don't see him as a single star like that. Every time he's been put in position to be a top singles guy, it's kind of not really delivered the way that I would have expected. Yeah, I don't think Bull Club gets to the heights it gets if the leadership goes to Tama and not Kenny. I can't think of a single person after AJ left other than AJ style or other than Kenny Omega that could have been the quote unquote leader at the time. Yeah. I think, yeah. Kenny was the perfect person at the time. So, So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the the group folds. If you, I think the group fails. (laughs) If you put, if you put Tamatonga in charge of it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, that wraps up for that little news story there. And other news, um, we mentioned earlier about the marketing of the uh, Moxley-Kenta match. So what they're doing, uh, the first 100 new subscribers are going to get a limited edition T-shirt um, that has Moxley and Kenta on it. Um, so if you sign, if you're not a subscriber, now's a great time to sign up and get a part of that contest. You get that free Mox vs. Kenta shirt. Uh, there's also a Mox vs. Kenta shirt that's um, going to be made available on the Token Shop Global. So they're doing a lot to really push this, this Moxley and Kenta, making a lot of merch and a lot of uh, marketing behind this. Yeah, I I know some people are into that, and they've like I think that's cool. But I've always been like kind of like eh. Like I remember like when uh, we went to go see Cody and Kenny wrestle at uh, what was that show called? Super ROH. Hard of Honor. Uh, yeah, Supercard of Honor, and there's like, I'm Team Kenny, I'm Team Co- Cody, and I was just like, bro, this a year from now you're not gonna want to wear that shirt, right? <laughs> then you, and 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 I was proven to be correct. Then you had uh, Kenny King in the corner with his Team Kenny shirt, Vanessa. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, what was the question? Or was oh yeah no, yeah the, yeah I think if if you're not signed up and you want to see that uh, match, you definitely should sign up and definitely you know get. Get your merch, you know? Yeah. Then uh, coming from The Observer, there was an update from the weekly pro wrestling annual poll on their list of most popular foreign wrestlers in which Zack Sabre Jr. won the poll. Will Ospreay and Jay White were close second and third. Chris Brooks coming in fourth. Uh, but he had about one-fourth of votes of the other three. After that came Hartley Jackson of Zero One, B. Priestley from Stardom, El Hio de Wagner Jr. from Noah. Um, Drew Parker of Big Japan and Jeff Cobb from New Japan. So a lot of New Japan guys there in that poll. Yeah. 
free match of the week is Sonata vs. Kota Ibushi from the G1 Climax 28, Day 8. So obviously they're wanting you to you know get hyped up for this uh, Sonata Ibushi match uh, coming up uh, next week in Hiroshima. That is the best match between Ibushi and Sonata. So if you want to see a really really good Ibushi Sonata match. That's the one to check out. It's better than the G1 final from this past year, which, you know, I love that match, but a lot of people weren't as high on it as I was. So, yeah, so definitely a good match to watch to get ready for, for Hiroshima. And then last thing here, uh, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport is going to be returning on February 13th and 20th. Uh, we'd have a question from Mother. He wants to know, what is Young Boy's thoughts on Barnett's Bloodsport card? Apparently, he doesn't want my thoughts on the card. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, bro, I am the fight fan aficionado here. And, you know, <laughs> you're, you're just a wrestling fan. <laughs> so, uh, But I'll, I'll run down the card here. So it's going to be Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson versus Jeff Cobb. Dave Boy Smith Jr. versus Calvin Tankman. Simon Grimm versus Filthy Tom Waller. Cal Jack versus Nolan Edward, J.R. Kratos versus Alex Coughlin, Super Beast versus Bad Dude Tito, Royce Isaacs versus Calder McCoyle, and Diego Perez versus Gil Gardado. I don't know how I'm to say that gentleman's last name correctly, but they, you know, there's quite a few names there that I'm not familiar with. A couple New Japan centric names. Alex Coughlin getting a spot in. Uh, <laughs> Bloodsport, that sounds awesome. Yeah, his um, first big return coming back from injury here, going against Team Filthy's J.R. Kratos. I don't know what he looks like right now, but the last time I saw him was in those uh, Guinea Gucci Roo. Is that what it is? Uh, Guinea, Guinea Kochi. Uh, I never, I always God, I, I was messing up. But uh, he looks fucking huge in those commercials. and uh, So I'm guessing he's probably really big right now. Um Obviously, Dirty Daddy against uh, Jeff Cobb. Uh, that sounds awesome. I actually watched the Suzuki against Barnett match in New York. I watched that match uh, up in the balcony with Jeff Cobb. Me, me, and Chris Bryan. Shout out to Chris Bryan. What's up, man? Uh, they, they're they're good, for, you know, friends with one another. So you know, he kind of introduced me, and we all watched that match together. Or actually, we watched the whole Bloodsport show together. So that's pretty cool. Um, so, you know, and Jeff was there as a fan. So Jeff, you know, big, big fan of this style. I think this is something that he could definitely excel at. Um, Tom Waller against Simon Grimm sounds interesting, especially since they've been um, sort of since the very beginning almost. They've had Simon Grimm on, and he's sort of started at the bottom, and I think they've been slowly trying to elevate him. Yeah, it's also, the, and it's also interesting because Grimm used to be a part team filthy in MLW. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I don't even know about all that. <laughs> but um, I definitely excited to see Calvin Tankman back. I thought he looked fucking awesome on the last card. But there's a lot of names here that I'm not as familiar with. But they typically have um, one thing: no, no women on the card. And I gotta tell you, I know people don't want to hear this, but like those women, those women's matches on the last uh, like two blood sports sucked bad. So you know. I'm not opposed to them having good women's matches, but they need to have the the right talent to <laughs> right. go out I mean, there and blood, do it. Blood sports is a particular style, and not everybody can well, wrestle that style. And so you, you got to find the right people. Well, they tried. They, I mean, they they really pushed Lindsay Snow. It's uh, it's actually pretty surprising she's not on the show because they really put her over heavy. But you know, they had Layla Hirsch and uh, what's the one chick's name? I, I, I don't uh, know. Allison K. 
yeah, Allison K, people like that. Um, but uh, anyways, I mean, this this one has no women. It's got a lot of uh, fresh-faced men. I don't know if they're going to be any better because this is a hard style to wrestle. Not everybody excels at it. So, you know, the the cards that I've seen um, of Bloodsport where they really delivered, they typically did have, like, you know, male wrestlers that – you, you you were familiar with and knew were uh, adept at the style. Um, some of the other blood sport shows where they've had guys that maybe you didn't know and maybe were less experienced or maybe some of the, the girls as well. Uh, maybe those shows didn't land as well. But overall, I, I think blood sport is a really interesting experiment here in the States and I'm always here for it. So I'll definitely, I mean, it's the one indie show I get really, really excited for and watch every time. So, yeah, should should be great. Uh, the Dickinson Cobb main event should be really good. Uh, Dave Boy Smith Jr. and Calvin Tankman should be like a a, a hoss battle. Uh, I don't know, man. They they set up Davy Boy Smith in the last match against uh, Josh Alexander. Is that the guy's name? Yeah, from walk, Impact. Yeah, walk walking walking weapon. They had him fucking walk through Josh Alexander like he was nothing. And Calvin Tankman, I I could see them. I thought the Josh Alexander David Boy Smith match was going to be like this barn burner, but instead it was basically glorified squash. I think they're trying to set up David Boy Smith to be like one of the one of the guys, especially since it makes sense because he's been training under Josh Barnett with Josh Barnett for years. Yeah, and you know he's a catch world champion. People probably don't know that about David Boy Smith. He's like one of the best catch wrestlers in the world. So. Um, I think they. I think he probably walks through Calvin Tinkman, and Calvin Tinkman is a massive man who's very talented. So I think I think they're gonna have him just fuck him up. Yeah, that could happen. So we have a few uh, last minute questions here. And oh, then... one thing before the questions: What about the stuff with uh, Abushi and and Kenny Omega this past weekend? Oh yeah, I totally forgot to uh, bring that up. Yeah, there's Kota Abushi throwing out a tweet. Uh, you know, talking about something about like wanting competition or something like that, essentially kind of leading to talking about Kenny. And then Kenny responded onto the tweet in Japanese. Um, and and Tamatonga also did a response to that in Japanese as well. Uh, yes. So, I mean, basically, uh, you know, Kenny or Kotobushi put out something alluding to the past between him and Kenny and how Kenny had challenged him back in 2008. And, you know, Kenny came to Japan and they had the big match in DDT that kind of sparked the whole story between them uh, for the Golden Lovers and, you know, all the years beyond that and how now he has a desire to fight Kenny and kind of almost made it sound like he would go to America and sort of made it sound like he wanted a title versus title match and kind of just opened things up business-wise. And then Kenny Omega alluded in his response to the idea that there's a new God meaning Kota Ibushi and how he'd kind of like to wrestle him as well again. And so like these guys have been, we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. That these guys are still working to angle against one another. Uh, Whether that ever turns into a match down the road or not, I have no idea, but it is funny seeing how many haters, (laughs) how many people online were like, I don't, you know, please, God, no, no, Kenny, please stay away. God, please, no. And I'm like, yeah, let's not infect our New Japan with one of the greatest wrestlers that has ever lived. Or, you know, please, God, don't give me any more Kenny Omega, Kota Bushi matches. Only one of the greatest pairings 
that has ever existed in the history of pro wrestling. I don't want any more Peter Pan 2013 matches. God forbid, you know. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Don't, don't give me no more G1 <laughs> matches. Like that would be an incredible match, and if they were somehow able to pull it off of both of them still as champions, like champion versus champion. I hope they do champion versus champion, just like they used to do the NWA and WWF titles in Madison Square Garden. And I hope they go, you know, Broadway. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. I hope they wrestle for 38 minutes and then do a double double DQ, double count out situation. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's how they would have booked it, bro, back yeah. in the territory days. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all down for another Omega Bushi match. Titles, no titles. So we'll see if it ever happens one day. Maybe, maybe not. But, yeah, it was just funny seeing people being like, please, no. <laughs> like, Please know what. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. Uh, who was your way too early pick for the winner of the New Japan Cup, and why is it Shingo? Mine's not Shingo. I, I think I think Shingo could be the guy, and I don't think that'd be a bad way to go, but I'm putting the money on Will Ospreay right now. Uh, right now, and I forgot to mention this um, when we were talking about Jay White. Um, I think Jay White's going to be the one to take the belt off of Bushi. Oh. So right now my way too early pick is Jay White to win the New Japan Cup. Uh you could definitely do that. It just feels very much like, you know, again, you know, that's mm-hmm. the only thing I'm thinking is like we just got like a four match series from them, right? Over yeah. the course of a year. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you could do that. That'd be a fifth one. And I mean, you, you might not be wrong. I mean, you know, there is always evil too. He could repeat. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Uh, his second question is Big Daddy Melts bugging with the one and a quarter star rating for the junior tag title match last week. What about his Eddie Guerrero and Osprey comparison? I'm not a Meltzer hater in any way, but I found these two takes really odd. What what was the Eddie Guerrero uh, Osprey comparison? Because I don't know what that's referring to. On Twitter, I forgot how it came up, but essentially he was saying that Will Osprey is like a modern day Eddie Guerrero. Um. I mean, possibly. I I would have to know the context of it. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily incorrect. I just don't. I don't understand what he means by that. To be honest with you. Yeah, uh, I I, just, I briefly saw it on Twitter. I didn't really dig dive in, into it. What people were saying. What people were just kind of thinking how ridiculous it was that he was comparing Guerrero and Osprey and saying how Osprey is a modern Guerrero. All I know is. You know, we we came on the show and I said that I thought that that Saturday uh, Road to New Beginning show with the junior tag titles was one of the best uh, (laughs) Road to shows we'd seen in years. And um, he gave it some of the worst ratings that he'd given to a New Japan show in forever. And then he called it a big show. And I was like, I I went online and I said, I just don't see how you call a uh, road to new beginning show, a big show. And his response to many other people was that, well, it was an Ota city war gym. So that's a big show. And I'm just, I'm still like, no, no it's, <laughs> it, still, it, it's, it's not, it's a road to show. It, it's, it's booked and marketed as a C level show it was not booked. Even if it's a, you know, and one thing with me is just like, we're in the middle of COVID because we're in COVID Anytime you run a bigger show, it's not as big of a show as you think is it might have been. So you kind of have to throw some of that uh, 
older logic out where you're like, it's Otis City War, Jim, it's a big show. Well, maybe if it was, you know, last year and you were doing the new beginning show there, but you're not, you right. know? You're doing a road two show with with limited capacity, right? And it, and it it was one of the bigger road two shows out of this stretch. It had the tag title match. It had uh, a couple of you know those angles with Tenkoji and Osprey and um, Okan. So it, it was a little change up from what we were seeing from the road two show. So it made sense to be in a different building that was a little bit bigger, but it still doesn't make it a quote unquote big show. Uh, the one thing though is I think that one one and a quarter star <laughs> rating is absurd. Um, hey, you know I get it if you didn't like the match, but we talked about it last week. We thought the work was fantastic, and then we did kind of talk about where like you know they started having a lot of uh, interference. And they got really heavy on the shenanigans, but then it got so heavy that the match actually ended up picking up and like, because they, they bust out of their typical norms. I don't know. I I've watched a lot of, you know, attitude era, late two thousands WCW with, with, you know, the Russo bullshit, the way he, he rated this made it sound like it was Russo bullshit. It didn't feel like a 2004 TNA Jeff Jarrett main event to me. (laughs) No, not (laughs) at all. It felt like this was much smarter than that, but um, you know, who knows? I mean, to each his own. That's his opinion. I I just think it's uh, I think it's way, way, way off. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Rambo's last question here: Which wrestler will be the first to name a finishing move after this whole meme stock business? Anyone want to claim the diamond hand heart punch? You can have that one free of charge. Um, heart punch. I could do a heart punch. <laughs> there you go. That that, maybe that that should be your your finish. I kind of got a finish, but you know, it's. I mean, guys like me don't get finishes because we lose every match. <laughs> uh, next question here from our user Hawaiian Punch BV. Do you think New Japan will ever book their young lions strong again if they're really special, kind of like Shinsuke Nakamura? I've been watching Dragon Gate book r- rookies like SB Kento and Hip Hop Kekuta, over veterans enjoying top heel units all in their first year of wrestling. Well, you know, I, I can't speak too much about Dragon Gate because I'm not the most knowledgeable on that. But, um, you know, New Japan, they're a very traditional company and very stuck in their ways. Uh, I mean, I think the closest thing we ever saw to that in modern times was with uh, Katsuya Kitamura. Mm. They were definitely fast-tracking him, but they still, I mean, it was still a year of him being a young lion. Um and, you know, they gave him some special treatment, but, I mean, it was very clear that they were fast-tracking him. But, you know, that, that whole thing, I, for people that might not be aware, the, the whole uh, Nakamura super rookie thing didn't really work out so well. They had to reinvent him two or three times before <laughs> they kind of got it right. So, uh, you know, that was a totally different time period. And I don't know, off the top of my head, I can't think of any other super rookies that they ever had prior or since. Yeah, I, I kind of like the the young line system. I mean, it, it's proven to work, and I think that's, that's the way to go. You get them to learn the basics, have a really great matches with just the basics, send them on an excursion, come back with a gimmick, and get them ready to go. I mean, I'm not opposed to them breaking tradition. Um, they just don't typically do that. Right. They just don't break tradition, so right. I don't know. 
it, it would have to be like a really like special guy, I think, to do it too. Yeah, and I mean, there is something about like earning your, you know, we always hear like paying your dues, and that's sort of like a thrown around thing. And but like the the guys that are they go through that system, they really do pay their dues, and then they usually are employed with the company for life, right. uh, provided they want to be. So uh, you know, um, it is sort of a special thing in and of itself. I, I don't think it's necessary to book someone you know a year out from their debut as you know something other than a a line but who knows i mean i I wouldn't be opposed to it i think sometimes you gotta change things up so yeah i think it would be interesting if like factions had their own like young lions like well well i mean bull club has had like on two separate occasions something like that yeah like hikaleo and some guys like that like cody hall too yeah so I think it'd be cool if more of that happened. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, next question here from Red User Grunty Dawes. Do you happen to catch any of GCW's 24-hour-long Fight Forever show last weekend? I haven't checked any of it out. Uh, I heard about some of the um, you know, technical issues that they had early on. Uh, they made a lot of money for the workers. Hopefully that's not a work and the workers actually see that money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, you know... Uh, 24 hours i don't who's got time for that i know i don't um i'm sure i'll probably be checking out some of the some of those matches for excursion match of the year candidacy but there wasn't really a lot there that i was i'm not that into the american indies right now i mean there's not much that i'm like uh gung-ho about out there yeah, I didn't watch any of this uh honestly not really a big fan of GCW to be honest uh, just, just not for me. I know that they they do have some good matches, but I don't know. Overall, the overall style and presentation just not my cup of tea. Yeah, if the production was a little bit better, maybe I could be uh, get more into it. But uh, and I know that's part of the uh, you know appeal of it. But I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, next question here from Viking Pain says: In honor of ELP on commentary, would you take Kenta and Shibata over Kobashi and Tawe? Hmm. Does he mean as a uh, tag team? Uh, I don't know how he means it. I guess I know. I know he's playing off of the ELP promo where he. He's you know, wait. He said. He said uh, Shibata and Kenta over Kawada and Tawe. Over Kobashi and Tawe. I don't understand this. Is, did he mention them on commentary recently? Remember he did that promo where he was saying I'm the best striker and he started listing off the he tried he, listing off the four pillars and he said Shibata and Kenta. Uh, yeah, but he didn't mention Tawe. I thought he said M- Kawada and Mizawa. Right, that's the thing. He missed Kabashi and Tawe. So he's playing off of that saying would you be like ELP and say Kenta and Shibata over Kobashi and Tawe? Oh, okay. I understand what you're saying now. See, I thought because, you know, they tag team together as TakeOver. Right. And then I thought initially he was saying, I just heard Tabway, and then I was thinking Kawada, so I was thinking Holy Demon Army. And I was like, oh, that's a great question. Holy Demon Army or TakeOver. But now that it's like, no, it's, it's like, who do I want to fill out the four pillars with? Either these two guys or these two guys? Uh, I mean, I would take... Kobashi and Tawe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
no knock against Kenta and Shibata. They're they're awesome as well, but it's Kobashi. <laughs> yeah, it's Kobashi. <laughs> Tawe was like, I mean, I know he like was essentially the cane of all Japan, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he was incredible. Yeah. Uh, last few questions here from our user Dom Homie One Hundred and One. First non-New Japan wrestling question. Thoughts on WWE trying to run back-to-back nights at Raymond James Stadium for WrestleMania 37? I don't really care. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's a two-night model. I think we've kind of talked about, like, the benefits of splitting up big shows for, for two nights. And I think we talked a little bit last week, too, about just WrestleMania in general. Yeah, I mean, they're coming here. It's going to be a super spreader event. Uh they're doing like twenty five, twenty six thousand people in the building. I don't, I don't care. I I wouldn't be going to the event if uh if if there wasn't a pandemic. <laughs> I wasn't planning on it last year. Uh, the only thing that I'm ever interested in when it comes to WWE is either just like market trends, business trends, or like for Mania weekend, you know, going to the indie shows. Other than that, I don't really. I don't really care. All right, it's so funny. It's always like all these like regular people in my life. Like, are you so excited? WrestleMania is going to be in Tampa. And I'm like, no, not really, because none of the indie stuff's going to be here. So <laughs> yeah, like the, I mean, I I think I might be working that week, but <laughs> got got like got we got gypped of our freaking indie weekend. Like, <laughs> like go somewhere else, <laughs> bro. I might be one of the biggest draws on on indie on uh, Mania weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Big uh, side dojo show. I don't know. We'll see. I think I think we might be doing Fabu Mania. I'm not really sure. I don't know if I'm even supposed to talk about it. Who knows? <laughs> uh, his next question says: It's been five years since Nakamura's exit from the company. Will we ever see Shinsuke Nakamura in a New Japan ring again? Abushi versus Nakamura for the double goal would be must watch in my books. We will never see Nakamura in New Japan ever again. Also, uh, did you see this week when he came out for the? <laughs> For Royal Rumble, they gave him his old music back, and he's like dressing like it's 2015, like like they didn't fuck him over for the last you know six years. Yeah, well, apparently, like a couple weeks ago on SmackDown, like he did excellent in this like gauntlet match. He won the gauntlet until they like threw uh, what's his yeah. face in it, and then like the game, the old music, and like yeah, now he's he's not wearing the onesie like full one piece thing. He's got the shirt off and is in I, great shape. I heard him cut a promo about the Royal Rumble and it was actually it was in English and it was very very good but I didn't ca- I turned it off about like three quarters of the way through because I was just like who fucking cares like, <laughs> WWE sucks yeah I mean at this point I mean I I, it, I think it's a very low chance we'll ever see him in New Japan ring again like it would have to be like his contract is up and he just really wants to do like one last big match in Japan uh, I mean you never say never but I just don't see it yeah uh, his last question here says, "Oh, young boy, oh, young boy, it's about that time again." Thoughts on the reports of is that Errol Spence outdrawing Canelo? I don't fight Mexican fighters anymore. Alvarez. Also, thoughts on Canelo's silly comments about not fighting anymore Mexican fighters. Uh, <laughs> so I guess I'm out of the loop here. I know um, Errol Spence just fought uh, Danny Garcia, and I I know they did really well at the gate. Something like. I don't know, two million or something like that, but I don't even really like know all the all the deal on it. So I, I'm not sure if he 
out I outdrew Canelo. I'm guessing it's probably at the gate because I couldn't imagine that he did better on pay per view um, than Canelo. I also I have no idea what those comments about Canelo um, not fighting Mexican fighters is about at all. Well, that's going to take us now to the recommended match of the week. I, I hate that I don't have better answers for you guys. Just I, yeah, uh, I hadn't heard anything about that. I did. I'm looking online now. I see where he said uh, back in like February 2019 that he didn't want to fight Mexican fighters anymore. So I'm not really sure what the. I guess I'd have to read up on both of these these two topics. I, I probably should have done some prep work before we came on the air here. It's all good. Uh, so yeah, we can get some. We can come back with some info with that if you find anything interesting to talk about next week. Um, but recommended match of the week. So last week you recommended uh, Vader versus Muto from the G One. Uh, this was the like you said one of the most infamous uh, fan cam matches. You can link was on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube if you were having a hard time finding it. Uh, also on Daily Motion. But yeah, this was a um, really good match up here. Um, I, I I just always love uh, Vader's Mastodon helmet and coming out and with the smoke coming out and the fans just kind of ooing and awing with that. Um, I also really thought, thought his music was awesome too in New Japan. Um, another note I made: I feel like New Japan needs to start doing streamers again. Uh, I thought that was kind of always kind of a cool thing and a cool presentation thing. Um, the story of the match here, you know, Vader is overpowering Muto, and Muto's, you know, kind of fighting from underneath, kind of, kind of being the fire baby face, trying to fight back. Uh, he would try and, you know, fight back with chops, but, you know, Vader was taking him down very easily, taking him down with lariats. Um, you know, at the, the one point where Muto finally gets Vader down, Vader powers out, so didn't get the advantage very long. Vader's back in, he kills Muto with a lariat. He's pummeling Muto on the outside, but Muto comes back for plancha. Crowd's going wild. He hits his signature elbow drop, and then Vader comes back. A lot of strikes, a lot of lariats in this match. Um, Vader gets him in a dragon sleeper, but Muto escapes. Um, hits a big back suplex, a springboard dropkick, and a moonsault. Vader kills him with a nasty German. Um, Vader hits a big splash. Uh, Muto kicks out. The crowd pops, and it's going wild. Vader hits a powerbomb. Muto kicks out at one. Crowd's going nuts. Muto then hits a series of uh, quick pins. It's a backslide. It's an inside cradle. Um, he goes for a crossbody, but Vader catches him, but he rolls it into a inside cradle to get the win. Fans are going crazy, throw their seats in the ring. Uh, really fun matchup here. Yeah. Really fun five-star match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love the ending there where the fans uh, throw the um, their their cushions into the ring. And, you know, just for context here, I mean, this is 1991, so we're talking prior to Muto. I mean, he was coming in as a big star. You know, he came off that, that big run in NWA, WCW as the great Muta. But I mean, he's pretty much him and Chono and, you know, Hashimoto. They're the young blood uh, in this company. And I mean, you know, at this point, I, I believe Vader's a three time IWGP champion. And like, you know, so the, I'm, I'm pretty sure just based off the odds and everything, like, 
it was probably very heavily favored that like Vader was going to win this match in the very first G1, uh, you know, to go to the final. So, you know, when, um, when Muto overcomes the odds and gets that cradle, I like the, the crowd fucking loses their mind. Yeah. You know? They lost it, which is always a great story. You know, you have your dynamic fiery baby face, especially a domestic, you know, national hero sort of situation beating the, you know, ugly foreign monster invader. So, yeah, yeah, great story. Uh, so my recommended match for this week comes from January twenty fourth, twenty sixteen, Cork and Hall, Fantastica Mania, CMLL World Lightweight Championship match, Dragon Lee versus Kamatachi. I almost recommended this match. That's funny. Um, I saw this match live when it happened, and I love this match. Uh, I'm taking it you haven't seen this match? Yeah, I have not seen this match, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, this is probably... I think they eventually did better than this match, but it's one of the best matches that these two ever had. Yeah, it made me think about it because I, I saw, you know, Dragon Lee has some new shirts on Pro Wrestling Tees. Made me think about Dragon Lee. Um, just how much I miss, miss seeing him wrestle. And then I saw somebody post the link about this match. I was like, you know what? I haven't seen that match. I want to watch that match. Going to make it recommended match of the week. And I mean, as we all know, you know, through most of the early portion of the series, uh, Dragon Lee just like pretty much dominated Kamatachi. Um, and this is Hiromu Takahashi coming back to Japan for the first time since he's been on an excursion as the Kamaitachi character. And this, you know, wouldn't be too far off from when he would return from excursion. So it's sort of like they, the, this was the very first time they transplanted that very famous and legendary Dragon Lee Kamaitachi feud off of the shores of Mexico to anywhere else internationally and they did it multiple other places but this is the first time they did it somewhere else which was Fantascomania for the gold in japan and so it's sort of like you know Hiromu's getting his first time this is the first time he's getting home field advantage against his you know arch nemesis it's really fucking good yeah. i i would actually say it's the best Fantascomania match maybe ever hmm yeah, I was looking through that. There's also, probably I'll recommend it next time, there's a Dragon Lee uh, Barbario Cavanario match that I want to check out as well from that same tour. It's very good. It's not as good as this one. Okay. It's, ve- it's very, very, very good. I mean, really good. Nice. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking this match out, and that's going to wrap things up for us this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back to preview the uh, new beginning in Hiroshima. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Be sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash wrestling sports circle. Also find us on facebook.com slash social suplex. On Instagram, we are at social suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. You got all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have a bunch of radios by Rich Ladder and James Boyd. We have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. We have the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. The 8 Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2 and Sandy. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And Great Match Generator with Danny and Beast Mike. 
Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.